Welcome to One Man's Opinion, brought to you by the Elite Fantasy, Fantasy Guru, and EliteSportsBetting.com. And now, here's your host, Jeff Manns. What's up, everybody? Another episode of One Man's Opinion. Thank you for subscribing, liking, commenting on the podcast. This is episode number four, and this is the best episode we will ever do. I can guarantee you that. My name, of course, is Jeff Vans. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Mans, The Jeff Vans on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, and the like. Gosh. You know my work over at FantasyGuru.com, EliteFantasy.com, and EliteSportsBetting.com. Speaking of which, it's going to be the greatest episode because the tag team is back again. It is my buddy, my pal, my partner in life, and in crime sometimes. It's Tommy G. What's up, you cuck? What up? Let's get weird. <laughs> Fucking TikTok, you loser. Yeah. Oh, you stop it. Oh, you don't even know how to use TikTok. I watched your TikTok videos, and it's just like, uh, here's my opinions on the five best movies of the day. That's how I use TikTok, Jeff. <laughs> You're supposed to use it to, like, dance songs and shit. You're wearing flat brim hats. Oh, I'm starting You're to up in all this. Don't worry about me. I got, I got it under control. TikTok is where it's at. You, oh, I've God. seen you try your Instagram. Yeah. We're getting too old for Instagram, buddy. Well, dude, TikTok's like like the, the baby baby babies. So you yeah. can follow me on you can follow me on Big Cock. <laughs> this TikTok. You subscribe to that when you pay monthly yeah. charge. <laughs> dude, so guys, it's Tommy G. If you, you should everybody know him, obviously, from the Elite Sports Network, like uh, like myself. We're business partners. We were co-hosts of radio shows many, many times. I've done his podcast, No Mercy which you should like, download, subscribe, and all that shit as well. Even though he's turned it into a complete fucking shit show. <laughs> all lizard people and aliens. And lizards and aliens and everything else. But the, uh, the title of this episode, Tommy, is going to be the, to- the story of Tommy G, the true Hollywood story. Because oh, I wanna, that's awesome. Dude, I want, you said it. You're looking forward to this. I'm so excited to listen to this. I can't wait to hear what I have to say. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. I can't either, dude. So it's it's got to be interesting. We were talking briefly before the show. It's like I wonder how many people really know how it all came to be. Because really, like I was a star in the fantasy sports industry until you came along, and you came along and kind of took this shit to I want next level almost. Like you just became like a fun person. Everyone like, oh my god! And all of a sudden, I started. They're like, oh, you're not as crazy as that guy. And I'm like, really? Wow, cool. <laughs> So, like, it was pretty nice of that. And uh, I felt it would be pretty cool to see our perspectives on sort of your rise. Because I I was, like you said, TikTok videos. I was basically doing that shit for five years before my career took off here. And right. you out of nowhere. Um, so, we'll talk about your rise and fall of that. Let's start at the beginning. So, we're, like, growing up, what's Tommy G like growing up? I mean, I could only fucking imagine so I think a lot of people have the misconception that I grew up like wealthy and like had like a good family and a good life. And the people who know us obviously know, you know, a little bit of our backstory from Sirius XM and all that. But, you know, I grew up pretty shitty. I was like the poorest kid in a middle class town. I didn't grow up in the hood or anything like that. But dad left when I was little. Um, mom, you know, mom, mama G, she's a big fan of Jeff Mann's. I try to talk her out of it every day, but she's obsessed I love her. with you. Mama I G know. is the absolute best. I don't know why she likes you so much. Let's tell a story. I actually have to call her sometimes. 
There's been times I've had to it's call mom to make sure we have to, we have like this whole communication device thing where it like filters down through like things. And sometimes I'm on the phone with Mama G or Kurt or somebody like pictures. Trying to find me. Is he okay? Is he, when's the last you heard from him? We have a timeline. There's, like, a, there's like a whole a, group. It's like an ancestry timeline, but we have, when did you see him last? All right, well, he tweeted now. Has he tweeted? Has he tweeted? Has, Has anyone heard from him? Did he post he, his gambling pics at Elite Sports Betting? Exactly. Did, exactly. All, yeah. Did he Dude, show up for the show? Your, your logins to the VIP chat at least <laughs> everything is documented. I, I wonder if you even know that happens. I, I do, I do. I've been told by everyone. I've learned to circumvent the system too. Sometimes I, I don't. I don't tweet and stuff just to freak you guys out, just to see where it goes. We have to stay ahead of it. Like, it's weird. It's like the coronavirus. Like, dude, we're like going to be two steps ahead of everybody else. Now you guys have an army. So there's like 10 of you. You got Mad Lab now and Kurt and everyone else involved. So you got, you got a whole army of people where someone so, has come in contact. So you grew up in Wuhan, China. And yes, grew up in right. Wuhan. And I uh, did <laughs> so. So uh, where was I? What was I talking about? The, oh, so uh, dad left when I was little. So I uh, didn't grow up at a very, you know, kind of like you. Like we all had like tough lives, you know, whatever. Uh, we don't cry about it like the modern day millennials do. But, uh, you know, so was working three jobs at a young age and always was kind of, you know, the kid that would try and get by and make the best of what I could, even though we didn't have any money and stuff like that. So, you know, we'd go like, steal baseball cards from sports authority and be swindling people for money, you know, like doing some, you know, the shady shit that every Italian. Were you a card collector? Was that oh thing? God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was, yeah. We, dude, you, know. you must've been, I, I didn't even know that. That's like, you would have been the absolute best. Like, dude, oh, you're the awesome. best salesman this industry has ever seen. But you I could talk, great. like a Griffey Jr. cards going for 50. Tommy's got you thinking, dude, this is the last one. That's ever been made, and every you'd get. I made so much money and got so many good cards swindling kids when I was like 12, 13, 14. It was it was unbelievable. It was the the typical like Collegero story, right? Like a little yeah. Italian kid doing whatever he could do to get by, and you know went through all that. I don't want to give too much detail on that. It's boring for people, but went through all that growing up. You know, work, always worked like a dog. You know, was mowing lawns to help my mom, and you know, doing all that stuff, sob story stuff. Um, got into a very high-end college, Villanova, uh, and basically didn't belong there because I cheated my way through high school. Um, I was always very smart. Had a you know fourteen thirty, I think, on my SATs, and got C minuses in school. But I was in all the AP classes, so they counted as A's on a weighted GPA. Uh, somehow snuck into a borderline Ivy League school and was light years beyond behind everyone else because they actually paid attention in high school and shit. So I was always kind of playing from behind. You know, like my whole life, I felt like I was playing from behind and playing uphill. Uh, was going to play baseball, walked down into Villanova baseball team. It was one of 64 people that they brought on and then blew my... It's the six yeah. feet and over team, under team, right? Yeah, six it, was, it was only because of my speed. But actually then, Jeff, I was the yeah. height that you you call me now. Oh, so when I graduated high school, I was, I was like 5'6". And okay. I grew like four and a half inches my <laughs> freshman year of college. So oh, I no, actually no. was that, that small kid most of my life that you seem to yeah. think I am right now. <laughs> I yeah. just like I just know that about you, so I just keep needling. It's like when you talk yeah, about my so I have a complex of it because I was always tiny growing up. <laughs> you always talk about my face and my snout and everything. Well, your face is horrible. I know, it's a horrible. Face. I trust me, I know. Underneath that stupid flat brim hat, everyone go to Jeff's Twitter. I don't know when this is going to drop, but I'll make sure to keep recirculating it throughout time. That Jeff is now, yeah, Jeff is now a flat brim millennial, and I'd like to dovetail and find out why Jeff. 
It's my TikTok. Uh, Why are you wearing a flat brim? You, we've done shows making fun of yeah. flat brim millennials. I, this is how little I care. I didn't know it was a flat brim hat until you said it on Twitter. I had no idea. I got a new White oh, Sox hat with a new White Sox uh, logo. I'm holding it as we speak. And I, I had no concept. Not even thought about it. And then you did it. I, I went back, looked at oh. the video. I'm like, oh, fuck. Oh, you look like an idiot. You look like an idiot. It, it takes the attention off your people. stupid face, though. Yeah, that's what – see, you, I, it's, I'm like a, 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 a butter-faced chick. <laughs> like I know how to. Are you saying you got an elite body? Is that what? Is that what you're I trying to say? Body. I'll be, it's all right. I'd blow you, but yeah. See, yeah. exactly. That, that's yeah. all I, I mean, go I for. Have. As long as you haven't seen. Well, we'll get into that a little bit yeah, later. Yeah, in the second part. The accidental blowies is a whole <laughs> segment. But accidental. Yeah, so, so I want to say, like, so the, it, what Tommy's describing here is is a hustle, and it's, right. I was always a hustler, right? I was always right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's what people who were given stuff as kids or teenagers or whatever don't understand. It's a drive and it doesn't, and I don't think it ever goes away because I, I've got a grown up South side, Chicago, all that shit. Like there's no end. I still feel like I'm in need every minute of the day or that every prove yourself. Up. And yeah, yeah, to prove yeah. yourself and to, I mean, to, to be taken away, to provide all that kind of stuff. And another thing I'll, I'll say this because I firsthand, he'll never say it. But Tommy is, Tommy's one of those dudes. You and I have bonded through years. We'll get to the story of how we met. But you've always taken care of your own. That's another right. thing that is is ingrained in people at a younger age. Is you take care of your family, take care of friends. Those who've taken care of you, you've always given back and take care of more of them than ever. In fact, I've watched you throw away tons of money, and I'm not talking about bar bills. I'm talking about other stuff that I won't really get into. Well, I, I'll mention a couple of things. Like I've, oh, I've yeah, and you know, you're the same type of person, but I've given away a large chunk of equity to people I felt were important with us oh, yeah, at yeah. the company. I've taken pay cuts, you know, throughout the time to benefit people. And, and you know, that's just because that, you know, loyalty is everything, right? Like it's, there's not many people, especially nowadays, there's not many Mad Labs, Jeff Manns, you know, people like that, you know, are going to be ride or die, you know, no matter what happens. Right. And I've had enough downs in my life that I've seen my whole friend group disappear when all of a sudden I wasn't the one picking up tabs or I wasn't the one willing to designate a drunk drive into the city. You know, and you realize after, when you try to be that guy taking care of everyone, even when you financially couldn't when you were younger, that once you can't anymore, these people disappear. And, yeah, you know, so I really respect and appreciate the people that are around me, no matter what Twitter and some former employees try to say. But, uh, you know, I, I do whatever I can to try... Uh, you know, I turned down a multi-million dollar offer that you know about. It's probably yeah. one of the things you didn't want to talk about a oh, year and a half ago to leave um, Elite Fantasy. And the only reason I turned it down is because they wouldn't take my team with me. They, you know, and, you know, so I do, I don't publicize that that much, but uh, I'm glad right. you didn't give me a chance to talk about it. Well, absolutely. And it's even more than that. I mean, you're, you know, you're constantly giving back money to your brother and your, your mom and those people that you grew up with and stuff like that, which is another point. I always look at people that don't do that, that kind of snub their nose and think they're better than where they come from. And those right. are the people that I look at like with disdain and be like, God, yeah, I get not. Well, I mean, you've been you doing it. You've been dragging Schuster around for how long? I mean, <laughs> it's a, a weekend at Bernie's. Imagine weekend at Bernie's with a Chris Farley type body. Like that's. <laughs> Basically, I love you, Ted. I am not kidding. He's no, not, he's not listening. He's not listening. To this. No chance he's listening. No, um, but it's a real story, and I'll tell the story because you probably can't. You might not even want it out there. 
uh, we're going to talk about my Sirius XM story, which a lot of people still don't oh, know yeah, the exact yeah. details of, and I'll give <laughs> the uncensored version for you. But um, yeah, there were times where Sirius XM wanted to make moves involving Ted, and you were like, if he goes, I go. You know, and, and you always, you know, have had his back through the whole thing, and uh, I, I respect and appreciate that. Yeah, you can't dismiss the chemistry people have, whether right. it's, you know, it, it's more than chemistry or it's more than, uh, you know, uh, analytics and stuff like that. It's, there's always something else that you and I have always been able to do a good show, whether it's No Mercy, Sirius, other podcasts. <laughs> so I don't, talented. I don't know about that. There's something yeah, that we're works. so talented. We're just crazy. Talented. We're so talented. So when <laughs> did you know you were so talented? Let, I mean, so, I birth. I just you're admit, yeah. stop it. There's no chance you knew that. <laughs> you're fucking lucky you didn't drown in a bathtub. Yeah. When you, were you know when it was honestly, and this ties yeah. into the kind of background story. You, yeah. You've heard of Cutco, right? Like the kitchen knife company. Oh the yeah, Cutco knives, right? It was the big scam company. It was like a pyramid scam. So there was this company uh-huh. called Vector Marketing. They ran Cutco. Some of you are older listening know what it is. Great knives. Phenomenal knives, by the way. Excellent product. But so one summer, you know, I'm a broke kid, DJing, bartending, doing whatever I can, you know, selling ketamine, like you name it. I was doing it. Just <laughs> trying to get money off. It yeah. didn't matter. If you had something worth value and I can get it cheaper than value, I was trying to sell it to someone who was willing to buy it for more, right? Total supply and demand lifestyle. So uh, there was this company that you know, was giving out flyers all over the neighborhood. And it said like, $15 an hour you can make selling knives. And everyone was like, it's a scam. And I know a bunch of people who tried it and they failed because what they do is they make it sound like there's this in-depth interview process. They bring you into this room. They make you feel special with 20 people. We chose you out of the 20 people, you know, to be one of our sales reps. And you're going to make tons of money. And then what happens is you go in there, they tell you to start with your family and you sell all these knives to your fucking yeah. family because they're going to buy anything you're doing at 15, 18, 20 years old. And then you fucking can't sell anymore. So they made a you know, bunch of money off you selling 10 sets of knives. You burn out and they bring the next crew in. So when I saw the knives at one of my friend's houses, I was like, yo, these things are amazing. Like, and he's like, it's a scam. It's a scam. So this was my first learning lesson on really how to hustle. I ended up going and just on a bet, on a dare with him, proving that I can make real money doing this. And I went to Cutco. They hired me. They made me sound special. And I found out all the people in my interview also got hired when they said it was just me. But I didn't go to my family because my family's poor. So I built this network. I went to the rich towns, Upper Saddle River and all the really rich towns. And I built this whole system and game. I had a tic-tac-toe board. I went to their door giving a speech that this is going to fund my college. And if you could just let me in and do the appointment, you don't even need to buy anything. And then I, I built this whole elaborate networking program. And then I got, I got one rich person who bought it and liked me. And then I made a tic-tac-toe board. And I said, if you can connect tic-tac-toe with nine names, give me nine names of people. I'm going to go to their house. If they buy and you connect tic-tac-toe, I'll give you a whole set. And I did the math in my head of 500-hour set of knives. I would have to sell 20000 Like It was all done. Yeah, yeah. I ended up making uh, $58,000 in a summer in three and a half Jesus months Christ. as a freshman in college was giving speeches in New England, like in Maine or wherever the fuck we were. I don't remember. And I was on stage with like thousands of people from all over the country who do cut I was banging girls in the hallway. I was signing autographs, okay? That's how big I got doing this. And I almost dropped out of college. I was going to yeah. do this. They offered me like a $300,000 a year district manager job to train and do all that. And I left it. But that was kind of the moment where I realized that as long as you network and hustle, those two things, network, and hustle. So I went to the right people to network amongst all the rich people 
And then I hustled my ass off to make sure to get door to door and make all the appointments and work 90 hours a week. And that's really been my philosophy since then. It's, that's how I met you, which we'll get into in a bit. It's just networking and hustling. You know, I flew out to Vegas. I won't you know, jump the story, but we'll get to this in a little bit. I flew out to Vegas to meet you, hustled to find you, dragged you out to a club with me, and then I ended up <laughs> yeah. doing a radio show with you. So yeah. uh, that's really been my philosophy. If, that was, if there was anything that I can enlighten on anyone who's struggling or has any talent or ability in anything, it's just hustle and network, and neither is more important than the other. So you're selling Cutco knives, you're at Villanova, you're making some money all of a sudden. You're like, mm-hmm. was that the first time you made like that? that was, yeah, that would, yeah. Because in college, once I got into the DJing and the bartending and, mm-hmm. um, you know, a little side business on some yellow label stuff we'd go across the border for. Uh, <laughs> once I got in all that, then I was making good, you know, so I was getting yeah. comfortable making six figures. So I don't think I've ever made less than six figures since my sophomore year of college, legally or not. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, you just, you always have that kind of gene in you, you know? When does, uh, when do you, so you're doing all that shit and you're in the party scene and all the club scene, obviously with the DJ and all that yeah. shit. When does shipmates come in? <laughs> what, like what did you apply for this? No, no. Like, how did so, this happen? So in college I had the love of my life. Uh, you know, this girl that I was, you know, she was obsessed with me. I was obsessed with her. She was a virgin and we were dating when, you know, she was yeah, a freshman. I was a sophomore. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I basically went back. So again, this is hustle and networking. My sophomore year, me and three of my friends went back two weeks early to go to the freshman orientation. So we masqueraded as freshmen on yeah. campus and we went to the freshman dance and we were picking up the freshman girls. And, uh, you know, she was the super hot one. And, uh, you know, we ended up, you know, getting together. We ended up dating for like three or four years, like all through college and it ended up falling apart. Because of me, I wasn't ready for any commitment or anything long-term or anything no. like that. No, what? Shockingly. Shock. But I, I was like different, dude. I was like, we were enamored with each other. And uh, so, so I, I called a break, right? Like from friends, like we were on a break. Like I called a break and she didn't like that. And this girl had like literally never done anything with a guy, never kissed a boy, never seen a penis, never had sex, anything before me. So the la- I thought I was safe, right? Like, what's she going to do? And she ended up to get me back going on a date and making out with one of my good friends. Oh, and this, the kid, the kid the who was... Move. That's the worst oh, move. Dude. You and can't I, and keep in mind, I'm a god at, yeah. at this nah. school. Like, I'm, I'm, right. I'm king shit. And now I'm embarrassed because this was the kid who was like a nerd. I kind of, she's all that at him. Like mm-hmm. he was a nerd, but he had money. <laughs> so I'd bring him to the raves. He'd pay for us for stuff. And then, yeah. so he was like wanting mm-hmm. to be me. And then he ended up hooking up with my girl. Wow. And so shipmates, I was at the mall about six weeks later and... I'm like you, like you can stab me with a knife. I'm going to shoot you with a bazooka. Like I'm not getting even. I'm coming over the top. Yeah, over the top. Yeah. So we were at the mall. My cousin, who was a model, um, she was up from Tennessee. I didn't see her off. Bobby's sister, uh, Bobby from the No Mercy Uh podcast. Yeah. Um, She was up, you know, was beautiful model, all that. We're walking through the mall and there's this, this kind of chaos going on by a kiosk. So I'm being nosy. I walk over to see what the fuck it is. It's shipmates. And I'd never heard of the show, never seen anything about it. And they stop her to bring her on the show. So this girl comes out and they're like, hey, would you like to be on this dating show? Girl's a model in Tennessee. Like she's going to go on a reality show, right? And this is pre-internet when before we knew you can get famous off that shit. So as the 35-year-old girl, I'm 23 or whatever, is asking my cousin to be on the show, I'm hitting on the 35-year-old woman at that time. She's 12 years older. 
And she's just looking at me like kind of side-eyed, like, what the fuck? And I'm like, what, what are we doing? Like, let's come with us. Let's go grab a drink. Let's go. And she's like, do you want to be on the show? And I'm like, I'm not going on some stupid show. And then I find out it's on a cruise ship. And I'd never been on a cruise. I'd barely been out of the state. So I'm like, fuck it. Let's do it. And they basically picked me as the guy to go on on Sweeps Week to be the cocky Guido chasing hot, yeah. perfect 10 model. Everything I said I wanted in a girl, they gave me the opposite. Everything she said she wanted, they gave her the opposite. She wanted tall, good-looking, rich, older man. They gave her younger, bartender, <laughs> fucking Guido loser. Small. Yeah, and then uh, and then I went and then the funny thing is that we were supposed to leave on Friday and it was Tuesday. So I watched two episodes that night of the show and the dudes just got punked up and down the whole uh-huh. show. They just bubbled and everything. So uh, I went out there. I networked with the producers. I made sure to become best friends with the producers, the camera crew. I took them out drinking. I spent money on them, and uh, the rest is history. They did a great job editing it. I'm sure they could have edited it and made me look like an asshole. But we were boys by the end of the thing. So. Uh, that was my shipmate's uh, story, which now goes down in infamy. It's so good. There's clips all over the internet. And Chris just Hardwick. Google Tommy, just Google Tommy G shipmates. It comes right up. It's everywhere. Chris Hardwick was like the host of that. He's gone on to do a lot of many, many, many different things. Because of me. I think, I think I was his yeah. Well, I think, was he uh, the guy that did Jenny McCarthy singled out too? I he did like every show for a while. He was like Seacrest for a minute. For like yeah. a three-year span, he was like Ryan Seacrest, where he was on everything, and then he just and he's made a big comeback recently with all these other. Yeah, it was the him late. and singled out. Yeah, he was singled yeah, out yeah. like right before that, so he's coming off of that. Tommy G's coming off of freaking selling liquid G in a freaking <laughs> nightclub. It's like like this. It's just an selling liquid G. The funny thing is, the question I get asked the most about shipmates is, uh-huh. "Did you ever see the girl again? Did you ever bang her again?" And that story's short but funny. So she was kind of weird. She was bisexual. She was older. She didn't think she was going to like me. She kind of thought we were soulmates by the end of it because I'm amazing at what I do. And so she was famous. She made like 600 grand a year, lived out in California and mm-hmm. uh, knew all the producers for Fast and the Furious 2. That's when this was. That's how long ago this was. Oh, uh, yeah. And she told me she would move me in with her out there. She's like, I want you to move in with me. We don't need to be boyfriend and girlfriend. We could have threesomes. We almost had a threesome on the boat, but they edited it out. Um, She's like, I just feel like you're my soulmate. We need to be connected. And I was poor. She came out to visit me. She bought me my first ever pair of diesel jeans. You know, she oh, took yeah, me a Neiman yeah. Mark. Yeah, I was like balling with them. Dude, diesel Neiman jeans. Marks. That, was, that was everything. If you had diesel yes. jeans, you were rich. Like, oh, uh, that's what it was. So she took me to Neiman Marcus, dropped like two grand on me, was sending me money. And I was flying out there to live with her. I was moving to LA. She guaranteed me a role in Fast and the Furious 2. Was going to get me in movies and acting. Keep in mind, back then I was much better looking than I am now. And the three days before I was moving out there, her ex, who was a Skinamax porn star guy, one of these meathead 12-pack dudes, threw a brick through her window and said, when this kid comes here, he's dead. And that's the only reason I didn't go out there because I'm like, I'm going to move out there and get murdered by these fucking Skinamax meatheads. And my whole life changed. I could have been a celebrity, famous actor. Who knows what could have happened? Uh, dude, you could have been uh, Vin Diesel, man. I, I, who knows? I could have been fucking... Uh, could Dwayne have been the, the Rock Johnson or something. Could have been anything I put my mind to, Joe. I don't know about that, but that, <laughs> that's fascinating, man. So we're talking 01, or 03, 04, no, 05. Yeah, 03 to 05 range, right? Yeah, with shipmates and all mm-hmm. that. At some point, you did move to California. I did, yeah. So I, I got into the stock trading world. Um, uh-huh. That was obviously my field of expertise, so... I tried to prolong it as long as I could by bartending after college and all that. Then I realized I need to get a real job. 
uh, gone into the stock trading business, <clears throat> worked for a couple big firms, uh, didn't like the hours, didn't like, you know, working for big firms and, you know, being told what to do and wearing a tie every day. No so, way. Really? Yeah, you didn't shocking. like being told what to do? So Amazing. shocking. So shocking that I have a problem with authority. Yeah. And then, uh, so what I ended up doing was I latched onto a very small boutique trading shop. And it was awesome because I was learning how to day trade now instead of yeah. doing financial planning and bullshit, 401ks and annuities and shit. Instant and gratification I, is up Right. Your it was a drug. It was fucking yeah. gambling with stocks. And we were learning yeah. how to read charts and analyze ups and downs and manipulation by Goldman Sachs. It was fucking intense. Six screens in front of me. Like it was nuts and it was great and it was leveraged. It was, it was other people's money. Like they'd, they'd back you. So if you were good, they'd back you with a hundred grand. So I didn't even have to put my own money up. Like it was just fucking sick. And then uh, I latched on with a trading school, teaching people how to trade, which was kind of sales and education, right? Like I made a big commission off teaching people as long as I did a good job and they made money. So that's really what my career became. And I had an opportunity to move to California for a director position in Cali. And I had no idea what the fuck was up or what was going on. And I just dropped ship. Literally, they made me the offer. A day later, I flew out there with nothing, not knowing where I was going to live, not knowing anyone. And I uh, took that position and was out there for about four or five years. Jeez, was it that fucking long? I'm surprised because you fucking hate California. Oh, you talk hate about people. SoCal, all that kind of shit. That's it's why just, I speak firsthand. People well, think I'm just talking as a New Yorker. Like, no, I was right. fucking out there. These people are horrible. Right. What They're is horrible. it? What, what drove you nuts out there? Like, what was it back just, in those days when you... Fucking la it, the laissez-faire, fucking whatever. Who cares? You know, like no yeah. one has, no one's educated. No one tries. No one hustles. Like the beauty of it for me, I actually lied. I didn't. I wasn't offered a director position. I, they said they had a potential position opening, right? And this is just uh -huh. to give you an example of taking that extra step. Yeah, yeah. The head of the company told me they had a potential position that could be opening sometime over the next three months, and he wanted to meet with me about it. So he wanted to do an interview. So he scheduled an interview for, I think this was Friday we talked. He scheduled it for Monday. I didn't want to do it over the phone. I wanted to prove that I was different than everyone else. So I booked a plane ticket and flew out to Irvine, California and was sitting in his office or in the waiting room outside his office at the mm -hmm. time. Let's say the meeting was at 1 p.m. I was sitting in the waiting room at 12.15 waiting for him. And he came in and walked by me and didn't really know me. We'd met once or twice, but it's like he didn't recognize me at first. He kind of did a double take and I was like, what's up? And uh, he's like, hey, what, what, what are you doing here? I'm like, we got a meeting at one o'clock. He's like, yeah, over the phone. I was like, nah, I wanted to do it in person. <clears throat> and he was, this was like, he's one of the 15 richest men in Israel. So this was like the most impressive thing in the world for him. We sat down in the meeting. He basically told me, I don't have a spot for you, but if you're willing to fly out here for an interview, broke from the East Coast, he reimbursed my whole thing. And he told me, listen, you move out here, I'll find something for you. So I moved out to California with no job. and then because I out hustled everyone within about two months, I became the youngest director in the company and started making, you know, $300,000 a year. And that's when I bought the Jaguar and did all the other stuff and started living, living a lifestyle I wasn't able to live before. But I think most it's all because I took that flight. Yeah. Most surprising part of that whole story for me is that you showed up early for a meeting. That's the yeah. most, <laughs> that is, that is, this is how long ago this must have been. This was a different Tommy. You, when you said I showed up at 1215 for 1pm meeting, I'm like, what, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, that's the part of my bullshit. No, no way is that possible. This is a hungry, broke Tommy, not an entitled, rich Tommy. Hungry, broke Tommy is the best because he's hustling yeah. like fucking crazy. So, yeah. yeah. I, and that's sort of like I ended up meeting you at the tail end of your uh, stock trading years and doing all that. But mm -hmm. while you're doing this and you're hustling, you're, you're 
coast to coast at this point. Are you thinking like are you thinking about like sports? You're a sports fan, obviously. Oh, I'm still yeah, junkie, You're crazy. Yeah. Backgrounds younger, just owing bookies money, like doing everything yeah. wrong. You know, yeah. like just fucking something's always good change. At, right. I was always yes, I was always good at picking teams, but I was yeah. terrible at bankroll management. Terrible oh, at managing. Yeah. I'm still terrible at managing my money, but I was always really good at picking games. I just fucking would Dude, blow you, all my money, double down, triple down, quadruple down until it was gone. Are you ever thinking I'm gonna get into like sports broadcasting or i'm going it's, to get it's, into like did you ever even is this even consideration for you at that point so no? when i was younger spiro didis you know spiro right he does the nfl stuff for cbs and uh yeah. he's, he's big he's a big he was a broadcaster for the lakers and the knicks spiro was one of my best friends growing up and we used to sit and play tech mobile and shit and spiro used to sit behind us and never want to play he just want to broadcast and announce the games and he ends up being the lead anchor for CBS and, you know, the voice of the Lakers, right? Like later on in life. So it just shows you. But the funny thing is me and him would do like a banter when I wasn't playing because I obviously always wanted to play. But yeah. I, when I wasn't, me and him would go back and forth, right? So right. when I saw him, I always thought like, eh, I think I have some skill to talk because I don't shut the fuck up. But when I saw him take off, and at 23, you'd be the fucking, you know, follow Chick Hearn for the Lakers and yeah. get the Knicks job. I was like, you know what? We used to fucking do this together. I was like, I'd love to do this. But, you know, I didn't have a communications degree. I'd never spoken on a radio or a podcast. I just did sales. So it's always something I wanted to do, but I don't think it was until I got kind of tired and sick of the, the Wall Street world. Because keep in mind, when I was doing the Wall Street stuff and the stock trading and traveling and doing all that, um, I was giving presentations in front of, you know, large groups of people, hundreds of people. So that's when I realized I could command an audience and I, you know, would get, you know, when, like you, when the lights go on, you know, yeah. you just, uh, you hit a level that you don't even know is possible. So that's really when I started thinking about it at that point. And that's kind of when I ran into Sirius XM and, and this fucking gorilla that I'm on the show. With. <laughs> Were you playing? Because I heard you and I was like, if this fucking guy can do it, <laughs> this guy, if this, if this monkey could do it, anybody this could do it. Fucking ape. No way I can't do this. So well, were you playing? I mean, you're playing on. fantasy sports this whole time, right? Like right. Football. So I don't even know. Do people know I was married? I, I, do you I, even you know, I knew it, and I. You know what? That's one I, I'm the, figuring I might as well tell all, right? Like this tell, is tell. Yeah, all. I, I have married question mark whether <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm tweeting this picture of my my list. So go ahead. Tell well, whenever story. there's a question mark next to, we can talk about. Um, okay. This is quick. So when I moved out to California, I ended up dating my assistant <clears throat> out there. Not surprising to anyone. And uh, we got along great. We used to party together, like go nuts together, have threesomes together. Like it was, it was unbelievable. It was like a perfect life. I wanted to go out with her more than without her because she was just a party girl. But she was also smart and respectable and all that. So uh, we decided to get married. I figured it was that time in my life where I need to fucking settle down. And I'm settling down with a girl that I could party with and pick up chicks with. So it really wasn't settling down. You know, like I was like, it was kind of my ideal life. And then uh, right before we were getting married, she decided to call off all the partying, call off all the threesomes, call off all this. She didn't want to have kids for three years. She didn't want to move to Jersey. Everything we agreed upon, I was too much of a pussy to call the wedding off. So I went through with the wedding, figured maybe it'll change once we get married. And I was married for, I think, a total of 66 days. And then I got it annulled. So uh, Technically, according to the government, I've never been married. But yeah, I had a good 66-day run in the marriage life. So when I talk about married life, I am someone who can speak from a two full months of experience on the topic. Where did, where did you get married? So you actually went through the ceremony everything. 
Yeah, yeah, we did. I got to pay for it all too. I got to ship every single dollar of it. $40,000 for the fucking wedding, $29,000 for the ring. It was a very expensive learning lesson. Those of you who know Tommy G, and by the way, obviously No Mercy Podcast, at Tommy G on Twitter. And uh, what's your Instagram? Is it just Tommy G or do you? Tommy G DFS. That's what I thought. Okay, so um, on Instagram, and you guys could uh, learn more of the backstory of this monster. But I can't even imagine, like, oh, the first dance, hey, the first dance, here, time for the garter. I can't <laughs> imagine, like, that nonsensical bullshit, you being a part of that. Like, what's the centerpiece uh, going to be? Like, oh, I couldn't dude. imagine it's a, a pile of cocaine. That, uh, pile yeah, of cocaine. Yeah, that was basically what it was. That's like, the centerpiece. I almost overslept the wedding. Everybody could pull off of that. So you're married yeah. 66 days yeah. in California. So do you leave, do you come back? Right after the marriage or when? Uh, no, I stayed out there for like another year. Um, oh, and okay. then, uh, then I came back when Kurt had his kids. So uh, oh, okay. Kurt had uh, Peyton at that point, And I wanted to be closer to my niece and nephew. So that's when I came back home. Uh, and then the bod. But yeah, I was always doing fantasy and all that. I had no idea what FanDuel and DraftKings were. They were basically nothing burgers back then. You know, you're talking yeah. like 2007, 2008 at this point. Like they didn't even exist really. Uh, yeah. No idea what any of it was. And the funny thing is Ryan Cohen, who you've spoken to, yeah. um, a friend of mine, uh, is actually the vortex of every single thing that mm. I've turned into monetizing because I went to Ryan's house one day uh-huh. and he was telling me, he knew I was a day trader and I like to gamble and all that. <clears throat> He's like, bro, you got to check out this FanDuel thing. And this was in 2012. I don't remember. 2012, 2013. Yeah, it's probably 2010. Maybe before then. Right. All I know, Jeff, is the day I opened my account was Friday the 13th. So that should tell you a little bit about fucking my luck. But yeah. the, uh, he, she's like, you got to check this thing out. So he started showing me FanDuel. And he was betting $5 head-to-heads and stuff. So I was like, oh, fuck this. This is stupid. Like, I don't <laughs> And then he's like, look, in this tournament, you can win $5,000 with 20 bucks. So I was like, well, wait a minute. Okay. Yeah, We're live on. now. So he <laughs> actually turned me on to Twitter. He made me start a Twitter. He turned me on to SiriusXM. I'd never listened to SiriusXM. He made me get a subscription. And he turned me on to FanDuel. So 90% of what built what wow. is here today comes from Ryan Cohen. And I have to forever mention that because he is the vortex of everything that uh, ended up happening. But where, yeah, then where, I started playing heavy on FanDuel. Where's his cut? I know, where's right? He, well, he did get a cut because if you remember oh. back then, the uh, referral program for these sites, oh, yeah. you get oh, a percentage yes. of what. He was making, like, I didn't even know this. He's like, dude, I'm making two grand a month off your play. <laughs> I was like, well, good. You deserve it. But he, and then they stopped it and he was miserable, but he was literally making $2,000 a month off my action. It, it's the first time I've ever recalled that I could trace Tommy G's existence at all because I didn't know <laughs> shit mates or any of that shit. Was the FanDuel used to have a chat, a yep. chat room on their site or whatever. Yep. And I used to just be in there all the time and I was interested in going around. And I remember you were just fucking talking absolute nonsense craziness in there and i would be laughing and like i don't know who you are or what anything i don't really pay attention to screen names but it stood out it's like that moment where you're like oh, that goes fucking off his rocker you're like Dude, <laughs> there's something there's- going on here that wasn't being moderated it was like all right that's pretty fucking cool so we're talking like 2010, 2011 probably and, that yeah and and that was the fandle chat was the beginning of everything that was calculated yeah. all that was calculated so to get i started yeah, so I st- keep keep in mind, I have that stock trading mindset, right? Like when I see something, I think, wow, this is going to be huge. So once I started playing on FanDuel, I was like, this is going to be fucking, this is going to take over the world, this FanDuel thing. Keep my DraftKings was, in, I don't even think it existed. Oh, 
at no, that point. It was just Fanduel. All 13, yeah. Right. It was just Fanduel. So I looked at it more from a business perspective than from a play perspective. So first of all, I went in there playing $500 head-to-heads, okay? And no one did that back then. There was like nine of us no. that did that, right? Like it was unheard of back then. No one played that kind of money. It was a fun site that everyone played on. And uh, CSU Ram, Pete Jennings, uh, yep. was actually the one who kind of saw what I was doing and was like, yo, this kid's serious. You know, he's not one of these people who's come and go. He's actually pretty good too. And uh, there was this tournament called the Elite 100. And they had 100 entries into this qualifier. First prize was $28,000. I won three seats in it, which was the max amount of seats. And CSU Ram was a god, like the god. Like Pete was everything for DFS back then. Um, and he reached out to me privately and was like, yo, you want to partner up on this? And I was like, fuck yeah. Like, oh, you're, you're, yeah. you're Pete Jennings. Yeah, of course I do. And uh, so we partnered up. I ended up hitting. So what I did was I told the chat because I was trying to make a name for myself <clears throat> and they hated anyone who was winning. So I would be in the chat 24 hours a day talking shit, being crazy. So I wanted to get the whole chat on my side and start to become like a cult hero. So I told the chat, if I win more than X amount of money, or maybe it was five grand or whatever it was, I'm going to take a thousand of that and run a free roll under my name. I'm going to give my money back to you because I'm a big karma guy. I'm a big energy guy. And they were all like team Tommy, right? Like I became a legend. So that whole day when the tournament was going on, they're all rooting for me. They want me to win. Everyone's on my side. I hit for 10, 15 grand. I decided to double it and do a $2,000 free roll. This is a true story. Ask anyone who was around back in the day. True. I, I was the yeah. first person ever to put my own money up for a free roll. Now, back then, you could only be in one free roll at a time. So Peter King had a free roll from ESPN or some shit going on. I called the FanDuel team. They put up, I put my $1,000 up. They took it out of my account to put in a, a contest, GPP, for everyone to play for my money. So many people tried to get into it because it was only, it could only be like 500 people was the max that they could do. And everyone was trying to enter, but it was rejecting it because they were already in the Peter King free roll. FanDuel support went upside down. The site crashed while the free roll was open. So I actually crashed FanDuel with the Tommy G free roll, the Tommy G Invitational, we called it. And that's kind of where the legacy was born. And then I did a couple more of those started networking and realized, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be the cool kid at the nerd table in this industry. And, and that's how it all started. And that's pretty much what it ended up happening. So you're doing that, by the way, this is the thing. It, my, my, Tommy invented everything in his own everything, mind. Everything, all of it. I invented all of it. No doubt about it. And then I, I'm like, I was thinking during that, I'm like, shit, I did the same fucking thing. Like did a free roll. You probably did it before me because I think mine was 2013 ish or whatever when i had a, that was back in my fantasy alarm days. i remember when you did it too and you did yeah. you are probably the only other person that did it i remember when i did it, yeah. it there it had to be first because there was about a one oh, week yeah, delay was before, there yeah. was a week delay because they had to get approval because they'd never done it before i remember that they yeah. had to like jump through hoops to see if they were allowed to let well, people play from i did it differently too I, I literally just gave it like i just said all right what's your paypal and just started firing pay yeah no you're stupid you just give money to people yeah that was like, idiotic I've i make them work their ass off and worship me for it like you better suck hard if you want my you're money <laughs> a lot better at it than i am obviously <laughs> i do the same thing i was paypaling our subs at elite fantasy yeah just, you do it all the time every playoff yeah season. i take it out of the expense budget you take it out why of your pocket fu- oh, you're a fucking stupid. idiot <laughs> so speaking of me uh, so <laughs> let's tell the story. Like you, you said you were listening to Sirius XM in those days. I, I started mm-hmm. Sirius XM late in 2010. You were my, you were my go-to listen. You and Dr. Roto. I'd listen to Dr. Roto and I listened to you at midnight. This is when you had the midnight show. You weren't oh, even okay. on regular time. 
Uh, when I first That's started, listening. I was a couple of years in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you you had the midnight show with Schuster, oh, yeah. and I loved you too because you were the only like borderline uncensored. Like you'd toe the lines, and right. you know you had great information, but you guys were actually entertaining, where everything else was just kind of information blah. So yeah. I was actually a, a gigantic Jeff Mann's Ted Schuster fan to start. Stop including Ted. Right. You diminish. I, I loved you Ted though, but I did. Like I was a. I always have been obsessed with Ted. I always, I never understood the heat he takes. I never understood being like, ah, oh, Ted doesn't talk. Doesn't. I, you I guys can love all the dynamic. Like, I everyone I loves love Ted. Him. I want. I fucking I love give, him. Give I give. He's just so angry. Oh, he's so angry. It was so great. He was just yeah, miserable all the time. He's a miserable bastard. It's, it's <laughs> and it's all like legit and no stick at all. It's what he yeah. does. But I was a Jeff Mann's fan first. I will. So say. then we'll tell the story. So you and I ended up meeting for the first time in Las Vegas, but it was one of those things. It was through Pilar. It was the was it Pilar? Pilar. Pilar was the catalyst. Pilar was my uh, you know. And the funny thing is, the hot chick was the analogy. And I'm going to use of a fat chick. But you know when you see the hot chick. And you want to get to her, but you don't want to go directly through the front door. So you go through yeah. the fat friends that are with her, right? So Pilar, one of the hottest girls in the world, was actually the fat friend where I met Pilar at the Playboy Mansion uh, when FanDuel had their big Playboy parties where I would just go fucking bad You would go shit. no matter what, yeah. Like, yeah, and I would go crazy. Like, yeah. it was, like it was, uh, the legacy was born there. But I befriended Pilar uh, there, obviously, again, networking. Were you working? We, were you doing Roto-Grinders at this time or no? I wasn't doing anything. At this point, okay, I don't, I don't believe. Yeah, I think I was just this straight. Before all that. Okay. It was right around that. It all happened kind of in like a one-year period, but I think this yep. was right before that. So I befriended Pilar uh, after I took, you know, everyone to the VIP and that club and dropped $3,000 on bottles. Like I, everything I did was to try and just build this legacy of, of me being like a crazy psychopath god. So, yeah. and I met Pilar and she was cool and we had a good time and <clears throat> we started interacting. And I realized that she was tied to you because you did a show and I couldn't get to you. I, like, you wouldn't follow me back. You wouldn't respond. I would try and like, you know, write some things on Twitter and you would just kind of eh, ignore them. I even did the old like, hey, DM me, you know, like it just never worked. Right, right, right. Yeah. It couldn't get through the fucking wall. So I flew out to Vegas because I knew you guys were going to be out there. And that's why I went out there. I went out there just because I knew all of Sirius XM really? was going to be out there for some event. Yeah. I don't remember what yeah. it was. And I was talking to Pilar. I'm like, I need to meet Jeff. And she's like, you and Jeff would get along so great. You have no idea you're like the same. I'm like, yeah, but he's not acknowledging me. I need you to, to get me into Jeff. And somehow she connected it. She either gave me your number or she connected us on social media. I forget what it was. But I remember I was listening to the show and I was timing it. And you were getting off the show. And I reached out to you because she told me where you were going for that night. And I said, hey, I'm going to this club. Mm -hmm. Let's meet up for a drink. And you were just being like a cool, like, oh, yeah, cool. Fan wants to come. You know, you, you could right. tell what you, you were thinking at the time. I'll let you, I won't yeah. speak for you're, you. No, you're 100% right. You, you always are good, very intuitive of what the other per person is thinking. I mean, because that's 100% right. And, and I knew what it was. I was like, yeah. you know, and I, I knew what my plan was, but I knew how I had to phrase it to get your attention. And it was basically right. like, yo, I'm going to be there. You know, first drinks on me. Don't want to take up too much of your time. Just want to you say said thank all you. All drinks. You said bottle yeah, service. Oh, yeah, oh, whatever I said. Yeah, 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 yeah. probably definitely said all I was drinks. Like, oh, okay. Well, all drinks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it sounds more like what I would say. And I remember saying, like, dude, it's you know, I'm not gonna fanboy you. Like, just really respect what you do. I'm friends with Pilar. You know, she said we'd get along, whatever. And you were like, all right, cool, meet us here. And then I dragged you into the fucking depths of hell in the fucking club. 
I got a VIP table. We all, we sat in the back. We were popping bottles. There was bachelorette parties going everywhere. And I was, you know, I was, I was putting on the show and I remember the one. It was out out of control. I mean, like you said, I ended up in a holding cell that night. Remember? Yes, you did. (laughs) By the way, then he gets a phone call. Like, all right, he gets my phone number. Like, I gave him my phone number at that point. And, dude, then I go back to, like, the room, and I'm asleep or whatever. Uh And my phone just is going bananas. And you're sending me, like, before this was even a thing. I think that's still a BlackBerry. I was getting videos. Of you in uh, like a jail, like a holding cell, or like a waiting room, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" And you're telling the stories, like, "Bro," and then my voicemails filled up, like, "What the fuck is going on with this guy?" And I'm thinking, and I myself, pocket dialed Pilar. She she heard the whole thing in the holding cell. Oh my yeah. god, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, this dude's clearly not all there. You're an insane like, person. <laughs> and, and when I left the, the club, Ted and I, because Ted was there too. Uh-huh. Yeah, we have the picture, the famous Night at the Roxbury picture of me. You yes, and Ted. it was in the movie. People yeah, was don't there. realize Tommy and I were in a movie called Living a Fantasy, and that uh-huh. is the picture from that Night at the Roxbury. Uh-huh. And, um, but yeah, that was. Uh, I, I, when we left, I'm like, oh, this dude was fucking cool, you know, legit. Like, we had a great time, all this kind of stuff. Didn't think, like, you were in the industry. You talked to me a little bit about I was started by the, I was starting to get in, like, I was, and maybe I just started talking to Dan Bach. Maybe I did a guest spot or something on there, yeah. but I was just, I was calling in the Dr. Roto show. That's what yeah. it was. I was calling in the Dr. Roto, and he was kind of like, I almost had like a segment, like, it was once or twice a week. I would call in and give some DFS advice and shit like that. So I was, sneaking my way in but i couldn't get a show you know i right. couldn't i wasn't going anywhere you know right. and uh, so, i remember when you guys left i was with that girl yeah and uh that, that girl, I mean, that girl girls, those girls like they were absolutes i mean the ones that ended up sticking around there were like four or five just yeah. absolute dime pieces just i remember so you and ted were like we gotta go or we're gonna get in trouble <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah, I remember, I was like, was like, you're good i got it from and, here and, i can take them all. people like they People have got to understand, like, this was like, everything's on the table, whatever. Yeah. And it's, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> if we stay here, cause I'm out of my mind at this point yeah. and I'm younger and wilder and all that. And I'm like, all right, yeah, we got to get the fuck out of here. That's usually how our nights end though. Like you get really fucked does. up. And once I bring the girls around, you're like, all right, time for me to go home. I'm like, oh, you're good. I could fuck three at a time. I'm good. Like just yeah, take I know. off. I know. I just needed you to wing me for a minute. You're good. Exactly. Now. I actually don't even want you here anymore. Take off. As the wingman. Yeah. At a certain point, you're like, yeah, don't even stick around. Yeah. But yeah. you're scared. These, ways these are mine. <laughs> My property. Yeah. And, uh, and these were dime pieces. I mean, I'm talking tens. Yeah, it was, Absolutely. It was, it was a poll. Yeah. It, it was wild. It was so, okay. So I leave. And then, and well, and then some guy, so I was with the few of them. They were all going to come back and party at, at my suite. And the, uh, some guy grabbed the girl's skirt and lifted it up. Like she had one of those loose skirts and like exposed her whole shit. So I turned around and, and cracked them and then threw them against the wall. And then uh, obviously security came, dragged me out. I had all the bouncers on the payroll, as you know, from when you were there. Like, so they watched, they were protecting oh, yeah. our table. Oh, like we yeah. were in our own little bowl. It was Studio 54. Like I could have literally- 100%. You know, started brought a bong out and smoked it. I remember because some dudes came over to try to talk to people and what, and they like, do we had two guys that looked like yep. secret service? The, even the, the first the security guard came over to try and stop it when I was doing yeah. some illicit things at the table, yes. and uh, the other security guard is like, no, no, he's with us. And then I hit him off, so we basically had the whole place cornered. You know, oh yeah, and uh, and yeah, and then I got in this fucking fight, went outside, was trying to fight the whole club, and uh, I ended up getting arrested. 
<laughs> they let me out because they watched the tapes and they realized that, you know, like, yes, I attacked yeah. this kid, but he pulled this girl's skirt up, like, almost over her head in the middle of the place. So uh, and- I ended up getting out of there. By Vegas standards, it's not that much. I mean, right, yeah. I've, Vegas has seen it all. They don't give a right. fuck. Right, and I have way like, you know, that, Yeah, swinging at a guy is not anything in, in, for Vegas. The, the biggest thing at that meeting, though, was when we were – I'll never – and you know I have no memory. I've been smashed with tire irons. I've had nine concussions and done it's way too true. much ecstasy. So my whole brain is full of holes. But the biggest moment that I will never forget – was when we were sitting and we were all fucked up and drunk, fuck drink tequila, and we we're sitting in the booth. And I remember I was sitting to your right and you were sitting to my left. And I just turned to you, I go, You know me and you are gonna do a show together one day, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you just looked at me like, Yeah, bro, yeah, like a hundred percent. And I, you know, you just I felt your energy like this motherfucker is humoring me right now and does not even realize I'm telling the fucking truth. And I remember saying, like, no, we're gonna, and you were like, Yeah, 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 no, no, we're, we're gonna, yeah, sure, sure. sure and yeah. I I remember later on asking you, like, you know, a year later or whatever, like, you were like, no, I had no intention of doing anything with you at any point. You know who I am? God damn it. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> do, do I have two stories like that in my life, and that's obviously one of them. The other two times, I, well, I didn't hire you that time, but I, I, uh, no, you got, got me in. Like, you kinda, basically, we started, we, we that, that came later, actually. We'll tell that story too. But no, the other one was Howard Bender. Like, Howard Bender. I, I was at an FSTA conference and I'm like, and I'll tell this story eventually sometime, but like I was done. Like it's just like a bunch of nerds that I don't like. So I was out just drinking and getting fucked up and, and uh, this bartender just kept giving me the free refills and shit. Long story short, that bartender's Howard Bender. <laughs> and really? I just, he's that, yeah, he was the bartender and I hired him. I'm like, you're in. Look, come work for us at Fancy Larm. <laughs> so like that was, that's the other time. So I have, a, I have a pretty good. Uh, I'm either very lucky when I'm drunk, or I'm very. Uh, I'm much more it's aware. A combination. Yeah, and then I have, uh, like drunk power. Thanks but, uh, to your um, words that you put in, this is you know SiriusXM started shortly thereafter. You know because we did well, have a good time. First, there was the Roto Grinders, like right, uh, right. you did a live stream or some shit so, where you had naked girls on there. Yes. Yeah, so. Um, so I think it might have been even that weekend. I don't know when it was, but I met Dan Bach. Uh, Dan Bach, and I was a player. He was interviewing me as a player, right? Like, I was one of the guys who had multiple seats, whatever. But I I, I really wasn't big on Twitter back then. Like, I really didn't use it like right. I do now. I didn't see it as a tool. So the people in FanDuel chat knew who I was, and people who played DFS knew who I was. But I, I really didn't have this, like, large-scale social, you know, network or anything like that. So when I went to the tournament, my mission on that – I always have a mission. I always have an agenda. Like, I never oh. go there to fucking – you know, enjoy drink and have fun. I go there to impress someone and get network somewhere. Right. So when I went there, my mission there was Dan Bach. Right. Uh So Bach pulled me over and he was like, Hey, Tommy G up and coming, you know, DFS star. Like you came out of nowhere. Like explain to us how you're winning all this money and doing all this stuff. And uh, we started talking to networking and then we were done. I was like, let's grab a drink. And he's like, sure. Cause I'm cooler than all these fucking nerds. Not Dan. Dan's cool. But like the other nerds interviewing all these fuck. So it's not hard for me to get Jeff Mann's Dan Bach like compared to the normal nerd fan like they're like all right I'll fuck with this kid he seems cool you know so and again I'm doing it by picking up the tabs and stuff so started hanging out with Dan a little bit and I was like bro let me let me hop on rotor grinders and he was like he's like oh you know you're a little crazy you know we're, we're not really uncensored you know we, you, you gotta calm down you can't curse as much as you do that I was like oh 100% that's all fine and I know what I'm gonna do when I get on there right it's just too late once the camera goes on so I went on with CSU Ram, Pete Jennings. 
who vouched for me and everything, obviously, because it was after that Elite 100 tournament. And uh, we went on Rotor Grinders. I did my first show ever on Rotor Grinders. Now, keep in mind, it was even more dry than it is now, right? Like, they've always yeah. been very corporate at Rotor Grinders, but this was like corporate, corporate, corporate. Back yes. Then. You know, like, it was just like, well, they didn't. Stats, they stats didn't have. Down. They didn't have people like us to pay. No, for it was the random point, dink smizzle. Yeah, everybody was just emulating what they thought something should be, and it was basically they thought they were trying to be ESPN, and nobody was right. creative, and that's right. kind of the problem eventually. But nobody was doing anything outside the box, and everybody was just trying to stay as close to each other as possible, so nobody got burned. Right. And, and it made sense because it was a gray area industry the whole time. Like everyone's wondering, is DFS ever going to get shut down? We can't do anything to put us in the spotlight or in the papers or any of this way before Ethan Gate and all that shit. So I went on there and I was dating this smoke show, uh, Zandria, at the time. And uh, I, I'm drinking on the show. I'm cursing on the show. The producer's telling me to stop. I'm not stopping, obviously. Because I know once I go on there and do my thing, I'm going to get fans. And the fans right. are going to tweet and say, we want him back. And maybe it's or I start my own thing or maybe they bring me on. So at the end of the show, my girl, whose body was like an 11 on a scale from 1 to 10, um, I had her try on three bikinis for everyone. And this was all scripted before the show. People didn't understand that. They thought it was impromptu. But I told her before the show, I need to make a splash. So at the end, you act like you just came in and I'm going to have you try on bikinis. And I remember I brought her in and she was just modeling these bikinis half naked, like bikinis covered nothing. And everyone in the chat was losing their minds. And it was back in the day when uh, whoever was speaking, the camera would go to them. So like when I'd be talking and she'd be on, Pete would say something and then the camera would go to him and you'd see everyone like, shut the fuck up. Like, stop yeah. talking. Mute so, your camera. Just don't speak. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was kind of the, the, the next level of, all right, this dude needs, this dude's nuts. Like we need to follow this guy. And, and honestly, like we always say, Jeff, you're loud. And you yep. scream and all that. I, I do my thing. I'm crazy and fucking Brett. But we could back it up with results and with content, right? Like that's right. always the most important thing. You can't just go out and scream and not back it up. So, you know, we were always able to back it up. So it was that I was good at DFS and I was crazy. That's what it was. Yeah. So, and then and, I got my own show on Rotor Grinders and became the flagship show. It was me, Pete, Smizzle. Um, that would do the shows every Sunday morning for football. And it, you know, started exploding and getting bigger and bigger. And then I got fired from Roto Grinders. <laughs> well, it's also like I talked about, I talked to people last episode, Tommy, about making money in, in sports and how like, you know, we're all getting ripped off these days and ticket prices. Everything's so fucking expensive. Athletes mm -hmm. make more money than ever. Company, the owners make more money. It's just, you know, all this kind of shit. It's like you have to take your share back. And my point of it was you can't – you're never going to get your share back, whether it's betting, whether it's DFS, whether it's fantasy, whether, whatever it is, by doing what everybody else does. Like right. walking in the herd is never the answer pretty much with anything. anything it's just ever. never the right way to do it. And I was, I've always been amazed. You know, I, I was in the industry what, five years before you roughly or something like that, mm -hmm. and nothing was working because for a while I was faking it and trying to – be something that was like everybody else. Oh, if I just do this, you know, if I have the sharpest edge on a player, I'm going to win. It, I didn't win. you got to be different. And it, it's, a, it's a whole formula that I started learning around the 2009, 2009, 2010, 2011, and daily and seasonal fantasy, all that shit. And it's what we implement over at Elite Sports Betting, Elite Fantasy, and Fantasy Guru now 
It's like, it's different. We're not, we don't want to be with everybody. It's very rarely we coast or drift with the crowd. We try to stand out and think differently. You know, it doesn't mean we won't use the same metrics or the same analysis for a good portion of our content, but then we're going to do something differently. And that is the way we believe in. So at that point, you know, you're fired from RG, uh, Sirius XM radio. It was always your thing to get on Sirius XM. Well, and that's, yeah. And, and that's the funny thing. Um, me and Cal are still very close to me and Dan are still very close. So, uh, we'll tell, they'll tell you the same exact story. Um, I've had yeah. talks with Cal where he said, dude, we should have never let to go. That was, that was crazy. What we did back then, we didn't realize what we were doing. But they were getting, they were trying to get on Sirius XM. That was their plan. You were already on Sirius XM. You yeah, were like yeah. the founding father. But yeah. Roto Grinders was trying to get on Sirius XM. And I was fucking insane. So they kept <laughs> telling me, you need to calm down on these shows. Like I would be doing shows hungover from my girls. We did the Sunday morning football show, me, Smizzle, yeah. and, and, and Pete. I'd be doing the show from a fucking girl's apartment with her walking around half naked in the background being, get me a sandwich, you know? Like right. just. And they're like, you can't do this. You can't. I think I did a bump on there once. I, I, who knows? Like, yes. or it was laying in the background. Who knows? But they were telling me, and Cal was like, Tommy, I love you. You're great at what you do. We love having you on here. We want to feature you, but we're trying to work a deal with Sirius. And if they go on and see one of your shows, they're not going to let us have a show on Sirius. So, and my whole thing was, if you get on Sirius, I am the one on that show. And when they told me, no, we can't. You're too much of a liability. It's too much of a risk. I went fucking, you know, table flipping, yeah. fuck you. And I was in, I remember we were in Vegas together and I was like, all right, fuck it. I was like, then fucking fire me. And they fired me. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is they fired me because they didn't think I would, they thought Sirius would turn them down because of me. And then I think a year and a half later, one, I won radio show of the year with you on Sirius right. XM in the time slot that they wanted. So Which it was a, pretty, it was a pretty interesting, uh, pretty gratifying reversal. There. So you were on, were you and doc, uh, Dr. Roto, were you guys doing the midnight show when you and I, before you and I did the Fandle show? I think you were right. Um, you yes, yes, yes. I went from midnight show to, to, I think, well, you were still doing the midnight show. You did kind of both. Which yeah, I the mid yeah, I was doing both at the same time. I remember that because it was when they had the nominations, right. the midnight show was one of them. And I remember you guys were like, what the fuck? They've done five episodes. What the fuck is this show even nominated for anything for? But yeah. I was doing the midnight show for free, um, driving into the city at midnight from Jersey and sure. leaving at 2 a.m., told Matt that's the only way I got on it I told Doc and, Matt, and working a side job I mean you oh, were, and working a full regular yeah nine yeah, to five job still teaching to people how to job. trade and yeah. playing DFS so I mean it was a haul and it sucked you know but I mean I knew that's what I had to do to to try and get the spot they weren't going to give me the spot unless I did it for free and I I offered it they didn't even say I was like I don't want any money like just give me a shot just get me on at midnight right. and then me and you got closer and it ended up you know I ended up getting a show with you which was awesome I'll tell that story here in a second, but I, I want people to understand that, um, you know, wild, crazy, all that shit too. And we're going to get into here a, a little bit about like the money and, you know, Tommy's made a ton, shit ton of money. I've made a shit ton of money doing this in our careers, but you, you got to understand everybody wants to be Tommy G like Tommy G you've become like a beacon that everybody, even at our own company. And it's constantly, somehow it's become my job to remind people sometimes like, okay, I don't want to say you're not Tommy G because there's talent. There's people more talented technically, but it's more than that. What you just described the last thing, 
the working overnight, keeping your day job, working, you know, doing your article or whatever content you did during the day, then getting going to midnight, driving home and re rinse and repeating that and doing it for free, taking on no money, spending your own money to make money. It, whether it's DFS, whether it's business, whether it's uh, trying to work your way up in the industry, people constantly want to be that top guy and they won. And, but the shortest way they think is if I just make a great pick. It's not about that. It's about hustle, yeah, no. getting your stuff out there, get, you getting people. more people. Yeah, and getting your yourself and your content, whatever it may be, out to as many people as possible. And you do that for free. In, in our industry, there is no platform. There's no minimum wage requirements. None of that happens in fantasy sports. And people need to understand that the ones that have reaped the most are the ones who have risked the most. And 100%. there's no other way around it. And Tommy has done that. And that's the point. So many people, man, you know, that you know they talk. Everyone talks, not our company. Yeah. People, oh, Tommy, what the fuck's he doing? Does he even play DFS? Does he even do anything? Does he ever fucking do it? And I'm like, listen, bitch, you don't. And I, listen, I can, I'll bitch to you your face about something you and I get into or whatever. Mm -hmm. But one thing I'll never say is they don't know all the fucking work. And we're going to get into Foreman Fantasy Guru Elite and the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't know. All the hours, the calls. You the did the same thing. You were you were doing it for free back in the day and working. The mid I took your spot. You were in the midnight yeah. show, and then Midnights. I jumped into the midnight show up. after. Yeah, and and like that's these yeah. these fucking millennials just want to fucking they want everything fucking handed to them. They don't understand that. Yeah, you look now and see it us great being now. successful, right? Yeah, yeah. you see the end they result. They want now, yeah. Right, you don't see what we did, the years we put in, the networking we had to do, the money. We, every time I went to network with anyone, I was spending hundreds or thousands. Every time I did a XM show, I was spending $50 to park, $100 for this. You know, it, it was yeah. just, con I wasn't making any money. When I was working with Scout, I was making like two grand a month because they couldn't right, afford right. anyone. So I was like, you know what? I need a fucking platform. I piss away two grand in contests in a day. But you know what? I'll work five days a week doing articles, giving my picks away for fucking, I think it was $1,500 a month when I started. I didn't care because they were giving me a platform and I was willing to sacrifice financials for followers and exposure. And these kids nowadays are like, look at me. I hit 48, 58%. Uh, give me 5,000 a month or 10,000. It's like, what the fuck are you? You don't drive sales. Insane. Like you're nobody. You don't bring in any money. Yeah, you're good. And people like you and you sound good, but you don't bring in money. And that's why you see all these other DFS companies fucking fail. Whereas we took companies from zero to millions in a year because you yeah. don't drive because you're not real. You're a fucking fraud. Yep. And then the thing is they want to bring people. Now the latest thing in our industry is people want to, they want to start like the company, like you're saying and say, look at me, I won a big tournament or whatever. And then, you know, they will hustle and they will be really good with their subs for a month. And mm -hmm. then it's like, oh shit, I have to do weekends. I have to do nights. Yeah, I have to no do one's right. Saturdays. Different sports. I can't just, it's like. Tommy oh. and Jeff don't work. Well, well, first of all, we don't have to. We right did now. already. We did that for yes. years, okay? Right. And we still do more weekends than you. I'm in the chat every damn Saturday and so are you. So it's like, we yeah, still do more than you. But yep. we don't have to do any of it. We should be at no. a point where we say, you do all of it, you fucking. People ask all the time. They ask me, like, why can't don't can't somebody else do it? And I'm like, no, they yeah. don't. They need days off and they need weekends. They can't do weekends and nights and like everybody. And it's like, fine, I, I guess we'll do it. But that it's that's kind of sacrificing. What I'm saying to everybody out there is, in our space, in fantasy sports industry, there is no bottom level. You get what you put into it, and the rate of return 
you know, without that hustle and the drive, you get soft or complacent, you're going to fuck, you're going to be out of business. There's no bottom line and you can't go take other jobs because once your cold product, as Eminem would say, you're fucking out. That's yeah. it. And people aren't buying you. And the only time it's not about people buy you when you back up your shit. And I, I'm very proud of what we've done at elite sports and guru elite, the whole thing that we've always backed up and our subs stand behind it. And they're proud to be part of our organization. And we'll get into that when we talk about how you built uh, guru elite and you and Kevin and all that shit and brought me in. But I want to talk real quick about the radio show. Um, so you're at midnights at this point. So here's my little story. And I wonder how much you even knew about this. So I'm doing the FanDuel show middays. They hired me to uh -huh. do, and I will tell you, this was fucking great buddy. They paid me a shit ton and to do a one hour show. And then I, that led up to, I think I did my show first and then the FanDuel show second. So I did like an mm -hmm. hour of my show and then FanDuel and, uh, and whatever they, they, uh, hired Joe Pizza Pia. Uh, Joey P, pizza, 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 pizza. And I think your avatar for me to this day is a pizza. pizza. It's still yeah. pizza. It's still pizza. It's still and, pizza. Uh, and Joe, so Joe was hired and Joe was with FanDuel at the time. Cause this is one of the things FanDuel went and hired a bunch of content people and they were going to take over the content business, which by the way, was trying to drive all of our companies and all of us out of business. That's what they right. were trying to do. Yeah. And they thought, oh, yeah, well, people have to come to our site anyway. They'll come for content too, so go fuck yourselves. And so then I, I took the job because it was a lot of money. It was great exposure and FanDuel. I played on FanDuel and everything else. And, and P's and P was a real nice guy. So then we start getting into it. And all of a sudden, every fucking day, every day, they had a problem with something I said. Or oh, yeah, I remember over. that. Yeah, we were friends already by that yeah, point. We, you and I are talking every day at this yeah, point. Yeah, bro, they were fucking, they wouldn't even let you say rake. They wouldn't remember? let you say, remember we, we say, yeah, they DFS. wouldn't let you say DFS. And remember no, I was like, DFS. so what are you going to say? I'm playing Fandle on Fandle. Yeah, I'm, I'm playing, playing Fandle on DraftKings. Like, we used to joke. We were playing, yeah. and I did it. So I'd go to the air. I was like Howard. Oh, uh, you were. So, by the way, I gotta cut you off here. By the way, because I worked with him, and I literally probably emulated it too much. Because keep in mind, I had no radio background. So when I got the midnight show, me and Jeff were friendly at this point. And since the Vegas day, we became friends after that and communicated, you know, steadily. But you know, I would ask him for tips. Like, what do I do? I fucking hate doing these reads, and I. It's really difficult when you start a radio show coming in and out of breaks. So at least right. it was for me. I was good at the talking in the middle. But like yeah. leading into the break and making sure to prep what's coming up next and coming out of the break, it's kind of like cold and awkward. So like Jeff would teach me all this stuff. So he became like a radio mentor to me. Unfortunately, I just started following everything he did. So it's <laughs> like Jeff would basically yeah. like they he was so powerful in Sirius XM and I hate to blow his already fucking huge head up. But <laughs> I mean huge by size, not ego. It's just a really mm. big face. It's so he would basically, I'd watch him and they'd the producers and everyone would be like, Jeff, you can't do this. Don't say this. He'd be like, okay, yeah, boss. Okay. And then he'd go on. He's like, by the way, they just told me I can't say this. So I'm going to say this. Like, and then I was just like, all right, I'm going to do that. But the problem was I was a newbie and you'd had five years already on the channel. True story. I, I did that. because The thing about me and people on the, the podcast here. You're an well, asshole. Well, no, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> no, there, there's no, I have no in between. Like, right. and I think you're pretty much like this too. Dead man switch. Yeah. There's no, it's like, I will take it and take it and take it. And then a switch gets flipped and there's no yeah. taking. Then bad. there's no, there's not even reality isn't there anymore. I just see red and it's blood. And that's, there's nothing that will stop <laughs> that. And I will go at you. And I, I'm not a violent person. So 
mine are with words and actions and, and teardowns and mine are with violence. And <laughs> I'm not good like that. And that's, that's a problem at that point. So in Sirius XM, my show at, at the midnight show was a ratings behemoth, you know, yeah. that, I mean, just an, I saw the numbers monster. so I could verify it <laughs> that they were, I mean, they were, I'll produce in the morning shows and the afternoon shows and all the shows they paid for. It was just, and they would be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, how are you doing? We must have a huge audience at night. Well, no, it didn't work out that way. Cause then they moved to the afternoon and in drive time. It was monster. It was even monstrous there to the point that like they were flying me. I used to, I had sit downs with Scott Greenstein and Steve Cohen and everybody at Sirius. And they'd take me to the Madison square garden for, you know, being a suite watching LeBron and like the whole thing. I was a very important part of what they were doing over there. So then the FanDuel show was just a con. While this is happening, FanDuel's bitching relentlessly. And mostly it's because they did a bad business deal and they shouldn't have hired mm-hmm. all these content people and all this stuff. And they could, it was a conundrum for Sirius. They didn't know ratings behemoth. Why is man's pulling all these ratings a minute? Why is he pulling it? Our, our leading in is a monster. And then it falling off, and it's a, even the fall off wasn't that bad. It was just it, it, constant bitching, and nobody's happy. They're not happy with the product and everything else. How do we solve that problem? And they didn't realize it. And if, unfortunately, and I think unfairly, like uh, Pizapia became the sort of scapegoat. scapegoat, which is so unfair to him. And I remember this was happening while Joe was being let go, but it was also a FanDuel thing. I guess FanDuel's decision to drop them or whatever and i i told sirius xm at the time if you want the star connection if you want just to blow it out of the water ratings wise and everything else it's tommy g tommy g and i need to be on that show at that point i had realized that that that's the dude like you were going you're the pe- somebody people want to listen to and hear a magnetizing force and i'm like that's the way we got to do that if we're gonna you know make a change here and it took a lot of prodding. And then we had meetings and I felt bad. I really felt bad. I still feel well, bad. Well, I was already basically, you know, getting suspended in the midnight show and showing up late sometimes because I couldn't yeah, get yeah. into the city on time and then, you know, cursing. And, you know, so I was already erratic, but they were fine yeah. with it because everyone who went in after you at midnight got no ratings. And at least we were pulling, you know, even if it wasn't yeah. the same ratings, we were at least right, right. reviving this dead time slot. Yep. So they didn't care. But to get me into the main show, they were just against it. <laughs> Tommy wanted to get in at any point. And they put nice piece to P in a bad spot, honestly, oh, because the worst. they wanted him bad, to be though. a DFS expert. He was not a DFS yeah. expert. Yep, yep, and he yep. did what we've all done. Like when you get an opportunity in a spot, like you, you try to fill the role yep. and he just wasn't there yet for that. And then right. he would just get lit on fire all day. And it, it wasn't fair. And he it became was. a scapegoat for something that yeah. really wasn't a problem other right. than the organization he was with. So it became a disaster, but they wanted to make a change. And I said, the only only thing that makes sense you if you fire only way i'm staying at all and i wanted to stay because i was getting a lot of money i'm just telling <laughs> everybody straight out i wanted to stay but i'm not going to just get thrown with another it was tough with joe because we didn't know each other there was no right. history there was no like, chemistry. Didn't have that it takes, chemistry it takes a while for that shit and that's why people love ted because we can i know ted's strengths and weaknesses and whatnot and you need that as a co-host but anyway so we got Tommy into the spot. We sat down, had the meeting. They said, all right, we'll let you two do it or whatever. And then we did the FanDuel show for 
at least a year, right? It was like yeah, a year. yeah, we did it for about a year. We fucking murdered and, it and, and just killed it. Won the award. Uh, ratings were fantastic. It was all world class. And they and did one, not want to give us that award. <laughs> like no, we did whole skits and segments on how the FSTA is a fucking bunch of clowns. And then no like we. They were do not want to give us that. We don't win awards. Like no. that. we're here for people, no. not for each no. other. And that's some people always get they rub they get rubbed the wrong way. Our industry gets rubbed the wrong way because we're trying to forward the industry and everything else, but we're doing it, we're expanding the pie, and everybody just wants to kind of congratulate each other for being a part of things. And so Tommy and I never saw that way. So anyway, uh we get to the Fandle show. It was great for a while, but eventually they uh Eventually, they go away if Andal has to stop sponsoring the show and all that. And at that point, so you were still doing the midnight show, by the way. People don't realize Tommy's doing that during the day, uh-huh. then going back, doing some work, then going back and doing the midnight show. Uh-huh. It's a fucking lot of work. Yeah, yeah. All the was. Tommy G <laughs> doesn't work hard or hustle. Bullshit, man. I saw it. So what happens after that? I, I'm well, playing. after that, they basically, that Fandle yeah. show disappeared. So you went back to your normal show with Fandle's two arms. Arm. Yeah, yeah. Right. We were separate companies. So I basically slid into a, they, I had enough experience now that they slid me into, a, they gave me my own show. It was from like two to four <clears throat> or yeah. whatever it was. So you were the, yeah, yeah, you were yeah. the headliner from four to six and I was the two to four show. <laughs> Remember you know, when so, I used to come on and say thanks for the pregame show? Yeah, exactly. You I love that show. It was so funny. <laughs> I used to get so mad, but it was so funny. I'm like, I hate I, that. That's so funny. I, but uh, so so it was great because we used to be able to kick the end of my show into the beginning oh, of your show and the breaks. You'd log yes. in early. I'd stay late for the breaks. And, you know, it was great. And and I, you know, I did that show by myself. Uh, that, right. that was a big learning experience. I mean, Kevin would come on once in a while. and mm-hmm. uh, But at this point, we'd started the company. So me and Kevin... Uh, I met Kevin out at the Playboy Mansion in the same way I was fanboying Jeff. Kevin was fanboying me. And right. he was like, yo, we got to start a business. We got to do this. I know John Hansen. I know that. I was like, oh, yeah, all right. All right, dude, whatever. But Kevin pulled out his <laughs> checkbook and started picking up tabs and buying bottles. I was like, yeah, I like this fucking kid. So, <laughs> and we ended up starting uh, the company. So we'll probably reverse back into that. But at this time, I had the two to four slot uh, that was just me and then whoever I brought on. But that was really hard. I mean, I know you'd done it for a long time, but... I, I pulled it off, but that was really hard to do two full hours, especially in February and March when there's nothing fucking going on uh, of live radio every day and try and be entertaining and informative. That was probably the cutco of my media career. You know, like that was when I realized like, wow, okay, if I could do this, I could do anything. Like because two hours, it, it, you're on a fucking island out there for two hours by yourself. Yep. Cut, uh, but- that's a callback, everybody. Tommy G doing uh, the callback to the Cutco story with go. the Niners. Well played. Oh, it was. Oh, it is hard. It, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's easy to talk. You just said, no. no, oh, no. Not. Especially when you get, like, live callers and yeah. news breaking, and all of a sudden you have to cover an NBA story. And they you want you to talk. And what people don't understand is they always want you to talk about something you don't want to fucking talk about. Like, always. we say it on air, like, all right, guys, we need to make sure we get 40 minutes of NBA. I'm like, I spend all shows saying fuck the NBA. Like, I don't want to. I'm a fraud if I do that. Like, but we need to. The channel demands it. And it's like, fuck that. You know, like, no, no, I don't want to talk about that. Leave that for 17 other shows that are on the dial. I know. That's what 
they, they do that because you got to revert everybody back that can't carry an audience with entertainment mm -hmm. or with anything else. Well, they look so they, at the shows that are getting ratings and they want to make sure yep. to jam every single thing they can into the shows that were getting ratings and our two shows back to back were getting the ratings. Lots. So it's like, here, you got to do all the reads, all the promos, all this. We have a fucking NASCAR driver you got to interview. We have this, like it, just everything got funneled into that four hour period. Yeah, it, it really did. And they just threw it on us and say, all right, we want, you know, the, give the guests to the highest rated shows, which I've never liked guests. You hate so guests. I really don't like you guests. Hate I hate guests. I just don't like, it's never, I, I've never, I always look at it like, cause I was like you listen to radio guy. I've been a listen to radio my whole life. And I know what I, my test is like, if you and I are driving in the car and we're having a casual conversation or whatever, and the radio's on, Right. I'll, I'll, you know, 20 minutes in, I go, what did he just say? And you'll be like, oh yeah, I don't know what do you, and you go turn up the dial. I'm like, all right, that show is not capturing you. Meanwhile, if you and I are having a casual conversation in the car and I'm ranting and raving, you're talking about reckon some you know, chick in a tight skirt, or I'm talking about, you know, doing haterade or some shit. People are like, what, what the fuck are they talking about? Like, you're going to be, you're going to tune in. You're going to be locked in. Why is this guy screaming? What's up with him? And you're going to want right. to know what's going on. And that, to me, plays. And I think that's something, you know, the history has been kind to, that people will tune in to say, all right, these guys are passionate about what they're talking about. They're talking about hot-button items, button, uh, items and topics people want to talk to. And it's funny because the first five years at SiriusXM, I was told no entertainment. They, I had strict clauses, 30 seconds of personal, right? Yeah, um, 30 seconds, 90 seconds, whatever it was. Like you couldn't do more than that. You had to be on topic all the time. And now they're emailing everybody saying, hey, you need to be more entertaining. Like yeah. the Guru Elite show or the yeah. Elite Sports show. It's like, yeah, because, uh, you know, but yeah. you know, they get pretty cool off. All right. So you're doing that. So we have back to back. You started Guru Elite. Right. Um, I talked to you that whole time you were starting up the company and you were recruiting right. me in a way, but uh -oh, I, I was, I was yeah. coming hard for you from the beginning. Like me and Kevin yeah. started the company, um, yeah. me and Kevin Adams. And obviously it was, and then we brought MLB model on who me and Rob were had each other blocked on Twitter. Cause I was touting some gambling stuff. He was, you know, super sharp gambling tout who didn't want to hear anything from anyone who wasn't in his fucking nerd circle. So we hated each other and Rob yeah. Zola and all them. They all hated me. So me and Kevin started the company <clears throat> merged with guru um on some level it really wasn't the same they had a percentage of what we did and we were getting a, a percentage of their stuff so we basically yeah. wanted access to their exposure that they had over there and i appreciate john forever for you know being a part of that and oh, you yeah. know allowing us that opportunity to kind of merge with them on some level so we weren't really starting from zero right and that was what main draw to kevin kevin was the in the guru he used hustle and network to get to me i wanted to jump on his network and again it goes all the way back to hustling and networking and, you know, so we started the company. Yeah. Yeah. Let me jump in because during, I want to tell people something else they, they definitely don't know is that during this time, you're a scout, you're like, yeah, you know, scout just couldn't pay you and all that well, stuff. Well, I, I offered it to scout. I told scout. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Atkins will tell you this. Like we talk about it all the time. Atkins and Richie are like, dude, we fucking can't believe it. I offered them. I was like, listen, let right. me start a DFS company. Let me charge more money than this $5 a month that we're charging now. Let me charge a premium price for premium right. content, build a team, keep the whole salary. I don't want any money. I will work strictly off permission from what this, this DFS and I basically wanted to build guru elite within scout fantasy. 
And they wanted to do it. Scott wanted to do it. Ian wanted to do it. All the people over there at Scout wanted to do it. The higher ups who aren't even there anymore are the ones who shit on it. And I was willing to work for free. I said, I'll work full commission. If we don't make X amount, I don't get paid. So I'll take money after we hit this threshold. And then my contract tiered up where if we crushed it, I make a shit ton of money. And they couldn't do it. And we had to part ways. And that's when I said, sorry, guys, love you. But I got to fucking do this because this is important. The whole way, this whole time, you know, at this point, after working with Tommy for a year on FanDuel show or whatever and seeing all this before, I'm like, all right, this dude is legit. He's the real deal. He's a talent, you know, funny. You keep up, do personality versus content. It's the whole thing and a magnetizing figure. And before you had come along your star rose, it was me as that magnetizing figure. And I only go though to a certain degree because my lifestyle married three kids, a whole thing. I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not the party boy. I'm not, there's only so much I, I can't spend, you know, crazy amounts and I can't do, I can't get to the level that you, you can't bring to. three chicks back to your room. Do you remember? Do you remember Tommy G after dark? The live stream. Oh, I do. Of course. Yeah. I had Tom, that's what got me fired from Rotor Grinders because I stopped. I re, it's another thing. I refused to yeah. stop doing Tommy G after dark. I would post pictures on Twitter with the hashtag Tommy G after dark. I think there might be a couple left, but I wiped it clean once I got the Sirius XM thing. But I would go out like there was pictures of everything you can imagine. Drugs, girls, whatever. Oh, yeah. And and there was all voluntary. It wasn't like sneaking. I'd bring over crazy chicks and I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to post this. It'll get you famous because I got 5,000 Twitter followers. And I was posting naked chicks and all kinds of shit all over Twitter. People would stay up till four in the morning just waiting for Tommy G after dark to come out. And then I would do it and I would delete it all in the morning. So, uh, this, yeah, yeah, you couldn't I, do course, that. <laughs> no, I couldn't do that. Well, yeah. Yeah, me after dark is like watching softcore porn or yeah, like writing an article. Like, with with yeah. cheese on his fingers, fucking jerking off yeah. to Cinemax. Only, only very limited audience right there. <laughs> but at this point, I'm like, I'm telling everybody. I'm telling serious. I'm telling uh, folks a fancy alarm. I'm like, we got, me and him, we have to. Like, this has to happen. Like, this has to happen. I was going to come to Alarm at first. Of course. I tried Al Williams, and I talk about it regularly. It's like, he's like, yeah. You know, and everyone has the same opinion. I don't fault Al at all. You have to protect yourself and protect the business and stuff. I I totally get it. And But it's the uh, not letting yourself outside the box, which is what I'm talking about. And these stories are fun and probably engaging for you guys, but I want you all to think about it in your your lives as well. Because the chances that were taken were – they seem crazier than they really were. They're not as crazy because you could back it up. And at that point, I'm telling the world, like, this Tommy G is the star of this industry. And me saying that was weird to people. I remember being at an NFL draft and saying, Tommy has to be here. We have – you don't understand the polarization that happens. And people are like, well, you, you know, you're, you're doing pretty good yourself. And I'm like, no, I get it, but I have this level. Tommy is this level. That's the difference. And – you know, I, people just weren't catching on at that point. So I'm trying to bring you to alarm. Well, I was a huge that liability. Year. That's the thing. I was, it, I was a huge liability. You were very polished, you know, like you were the polished crazy yeah. guy. And that's, and that's as far like as they really point. wanted to go. I was just like right. fucking right. just a complete. But limit. I'm telling everybody they need to go this high. Oh, you were. And I, I will tell everyone in the world who ever says where I am. Jeff Manns was the one who would go out saying, listen, I know the kid. I know he's fucking insane, yeah. but this is where the industry's going. This is where we got to get to. 
And I'm married with three kids. I'm not going to run out doing like everything you think yeah. he's doing that's bad is going to end up being good. And we're just going to be late to the party. All right. You just tell everyone. hundred percent. So I'm trying to get there too. I'm trying to build something bigger as well. And you're at Scout. And I remember the conversation you and I had one of these late nights where like, uh, um, I mean, you, you and I talked like all the time. Oh, it was every day. It was things. nonstop. Like every every night, day, all day, five stuff. hours. Yeah. And, and it'd be like, and you'd be like, I don't know. So if I, how many customers do you think I could get? And I, I remember there was that hesitation. That and I'm like, you get everybody because you're polarizing people want to be a part of it you're going to be able to do this and it's going to make so much more money and all that and it's not just about money it's also tommy had a day job that was successful too he it has to justify your time and this is what i want to also tell everybody who blocks that oh you guys make a lot of money you want people that make good money doing this for you because i'm telling you the hobbyists are no good. They're not putting in the time. They're not ride or dying with you. They're not with you in the losses. They're not feeling that hit. You know, I, I'll take a bet Tommy does when he's got 5K on it. And yeah, I may only have 25 bucks or 50 bucks or 100. But if we lose, that fucking guy, you're going to be, he's feeling it worse than I am. You want right. that. You may not think you want it. You think you want discount advice. You don't. You don't want a shitty car. You don't want a shitty house. You don't want discount anything. I get you don't want to overpay, but when it comes to a situation and advice of making money, you want somebody who's always invested and working on it. And when they wake up, that's what they're thinking about. They go to sleep, that's what they're thinking about. They're liable. They're in front of you. They're not hiding. They don't fucking sell squares and leave like fucking Seth Yates or some shit. Like you do want that. I, I, we always want the lowest price. And yeah. but our industry is full of guys who do this as a hobby. And I mean, no disrespect to them because some of them are much more talented than Tommy and I, but you want somebody that's with you no matter what. You want to pay a little bit extra for that kind of security, that kind of dedication. It's well worth it. And that's something our industry never got. Tommy got it. And then you and Kevin launched Guru Elite and it was a fucking monster success right off the bat. And I sat back and like, hey, I fucking told that you. That was so. scary, man. That was that was oh, like that was probably the scare. And and I take a lot of chances and do a lot of uh, you know I take a lot of risks as everyone knows, um, because I I know I'm a I'm a cat, right? Like with unlimited lives, where like it doesn't matter if I'm eating ramen soup for a week because I made a bad decision, I'll come right back from it throughout my whole life. But the the Guru Elite thing was scary because when I was doing Scout and Sirius XM and all that stuff, like you said, I still had my full time job and I was making like four hundred grand a year. Yeah. So this wasn't like a regular job. Like I was coasting. I was doing presentations. I was walking in at 10 a.m., leaving at 3 p.m. I ran the shit. Like they couldn't afford to let me go because I was the fucking top sales guy in the country. So it was like I, I could do what I want, you know, but I was bored and I was just done with it and it was over yeah. it. And I didn't want to fucking do it anymore. So I had to, starting Guru Elite, I had to give up that job because I knew if I was going to make this fantasy thing work, looking at yep. and me and you had already been really good friends for a long time. So I saw how hard you worked every day, every night and this and that. And I'm like, I can't do this half-ass or it's going to fail. So I quit my $400,000 a year job to start this from zero. And yeah, we had those talks almost every night. I'm like, Jeff, what if I charge the thing, people are going to pay it. Like, are people going to buy this shit? I just see everyone failing. Insiders is failing. This company's failing. Like, and these people make, you know, are great at DFS and they're fit. And you were the one who kept telling me, dude, like, it was almost like field of dreams. Like if you build it, they will come, yep. you know? And, and it was just like, that was a lot of the confidence for me and Kevin to, to take that leap initially. And my, the reason I wanted to go to alarm 
because I always knew that we were going to end up together. We said, we joked about it forever. We're going to end up at the same company at some point. It's just a matter how uh, I wanted to go to alarm just because it was safer. Right. You know, I knew there wasn't as much upside, but I was like, you know what? I'm going with Jeff. I got my mentor there. I got my boy there. He's going to protect me. He's not going to let him fire me if I tell dick jokes or do anything crazy. And then I was like, you know what? What more safety can I have than if I'm the fucking boss? <laughs> like, you know, I can do whatever the fuck I want. And, and that's how it started. And then, so you and Kevin run it. You guys ran it through the whole football season. After, right, like towards and the end of football season. you were keeping your eye on it the whole time. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. You even told me, you're like, I, oh, like, yeah. I was the guinea pig. Like, let's see what the fuck happens over here. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And at that point, there was, I won't get into it this show because, you know, I'll give it its full due. You know, me leaving Fantasy Alarm was something, and I'm very friendly with those guys and bygones are bygones, but there, there was a contractual issue there. It wasn't about money. It was something that didn't sit right. You know, so I got to that point there. There was like that little bit of like, okay. And uh, yeah, saw what you're doing. You and I were talking every day and, uh, and, and you guys are crushing it. And, you know, you're getting ready for, you know, football season's wrapping up. And at that point, I knew if I was making any kind of move, that was the time to do it. And you're, you're recruiting me that whole time pretty much. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was an open door. It was just whenever you're ready. But we were thinking about, yeah, it really was. That's what you were saying. And I didn't, you know, take it seriously for a while. And then I'm like, all right, well, fuck it. I knew I'm like, you know what? Let's really blow this fucking thing up. And we're going to take over the goddamn world um, and, and have the best products ever and get the best people and everything else. And you started recruiting people at that point. You know, you'd gotten Mad Lab into the mix to an MMA by then. And we got some hockey guys. And some right, Benny, we had, yeah, we started building, right. We started building an army. Absolutely. And at that point, you and I talked. I mean, the, the thing is, like, I didn't just come over one day when we made the announcement. That was four months in the making. Right. Like, that was yeah. four months of a lot of, you know, talking, me exiting the alarm and then getting in here. And then, uh, yeah, me, Ray, and Ted all show up at the Guru Elite front door. And, uh, and it was like, okay. And at that point, like right then, that, that month is still one of the best sales months in the history. Yeah, it was not. You know, it was baseball season too and everything else. And I mean, those days are legendary at this point. And so you and I are going and it's, everything's fucking phenomenal. And we're doing the Series XM show together at that point. Right so now, and now finally, we were able, right now, because yeah. we couldn't have the fantasy alarm show. So nope. now we did, you had to give that up. And then you came with me to my slot. So you gave up your slot. Yep, gave it that, up. Yep. To Arms come like to work with me. And you even mm -hmm. said, I don't give a fuck. Like, we're going to destroy this slot. Even if it's not drive time, me and you yep. back together. And that's when it was like, fucking no holds barred because we didn't have FanDuel up our ass. We didn't have anyone telling us what to do. We were just murdering. And if you talk to anyone who remembers the Sirius XM days, you know, a few years, a couple years ago, like that show was the show. Like there was no other show. Like that was, we were winning people money. We were talking trash. I was getting suspended every other week. You would go to bat for me, tell them you're going to quit. If they suspend yeah. me, you'd get suspended. I tell them I'm going to leave. Like it was, it was perfect. <laughs> it was a wild ride for sure. And then all of a sudden, Tommy G, yep. <laughs> one day, and this is a part of the story that we've never told. I was, I, we, you and I were doing, and we still do it, elitefantasy.com. Back then it was guruelite.com, but uh, we're doing live stream. We're doing baseball live stream. We, had, we used to end our radio show and we'd have like an hour to eat lunch or, or prepare or whatever. Then we'd go do a live stream on the site. 
you know, in those days. And we're on that show, on our live stream, and my phone is blowing up. And it's with, you know, the higher-ups, the executives at SiriusXM, and it was emergency, 911, need, you know, got all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, what? It's a fucking problem. I'm like, ah, I could wait, whatever. We do our thing. Then boom, after the, that, after the live stream, call back. And they're like, yeah, we got to let Tommy go. We think there's a problem. And this was just when we were starting the Me Too oh, movement and Black yep. Lives Matter and all the, all the petitioning and yep. people emailing studios. The cancel culture was just really getting into full gear at that point where one wrong word and you were done. You take away people's livelihoods, which just doesn't make any kind of sense at all. And it really didn't make sense because of what we were being offered before this move. Like there was a lot going on. Like, we oh, we other yeah, shows and tell time. it so you don't have to because you're still on Sirius XM. But mm-hmm. you know, so literally a month before maybe two weeks before this, we were on a trip with a lot of the execs from Sirius XM. They were talking about the ratings numbers of our show. And we were saying, like, get us back in drive time. You know, like what are we doing? You know, and there's they were gonna build a whole fucking channel around us. Like I know you can't say it, I'll say it. I don't care. <laughs> That's what was happening. Like we were literally in conversation two weeks before about having a whole channel around us. And me and you were gonna do like six hours a day, and we were gonna bring our other guys on and we were gonna have control. Hansen and it was Hansen was gonna be there. Like we were gonna build a dream team and it was gonna be all DFS and gambling oriented, and then the regular Sirius XM was gonna stay all seasonal. And we were going to separate it out. We were because you know we were basically going to be able to be on both channels, but we were going to have our own channel, get equity in it, get money from it, get add money. Like, yeah, it was about me and you were literally just jerking off. Like, dude, we're going to have our own fucking radio channel. And two weeks later, I got axed over the dumbest fucking crock of bullshit I've ever heard in my life. And uh, do you want me to? explain it now or did you yeah go ahead tell so we got the call whatever and it was about something that happened that day not even oh, on the show so by ridiculous. the way it wasn't even, even on the show it was on a break so so let me paint the picture the for you go ahead right so let me paint the picture for you here so ivy um who was my producer all the way back to dr roto days right that's how close i am with ivy um she's african-american young attractive female, female okay yep. so we are so close that a month from the day I got fired, we were going to do the FSTA in New York. She didn't live here. We're so close that I, I would told her I will pay for her hotel room and pay for her stay. And this wasn't to try and bang her or anything. This was just because I knew she was tight on money. I was paying for her. And I told her I would put her up because I'm like, listen, you're not going to be comfortable staying in my room. Like, that's going to get weird. And shit. Right. I'm going to buy you a hotel room for the three days. She was almost crying on the phone. This was just like yeah. a week or two before that I was going to take care of her. We were best friends best friends like jeff you heard us on the breaks all the time me and ivy would say shit to each other that you can't even say publicly right now from a african-american attractive female to a you know middle-aged white male like you can't even it was stern and robin that's how we were that's the only way i can describe it right robin gibbons and howard stern we would talk about dick size. We would talk about who we were fucking. I was bragging about, I banged a black girl last night. And she's like, oh, she's like, I fucked a white guy. Yes. So like race didn't matter. We just yeah. happened to be of different races. And we joked like crazy about race, right? So, and I have certain 
black friends that I could joke like this. Like they can make slavery jokes. They can make Italian jokes. Like there's just no holes barred because we're that close. When you're when you're cool, like that's the whole thing. The people that worry about that kind of shit are the people that have the fucking the cucks. cucks. Yeah, the fucking right. Cucks. The cucks. But yeah, it really you don't. I thought the first podcast I did was just about that. But the whole thing is that. Nobody gives a shit. The only people that give a shit are the people that are the have something to hide. Right. Yeah, social justice. People who are the always m- have something to hide. They always, they always have bad beliefs that they're suppressing or that they are talking about with their friends or whatever that they kind of don't want out. And that's why right. they don't exactly. want anybody talking about it because they're scared of what they might say. Bro, you got to hear the shit, Jeff. You've heard it. I hang out in the Bronx at 3 a.m. after fucking Yankee games. I'm the only white guy in the bar 50% of the time. I'm making fucking jokes. They're ripping on me. I'm ripping on them. My dick's big. And what do you think? You're black. You got a big dick laying on the fucking table. You know, like... Like yeah. this and that, and we wouldn't be getting served by the bartender. She's ignoring us. And I'm like, why? Because we're black, making fried chicken joke, like anything. Yeah. It's no holds barred because we're boys, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's how it works. And me and Ivy were like that. And we started making a joke about something. She was talking about bondage. And she was, um, you can tell where this ended up going. She was talking about a bondage sex dream she had with me in it or something. And I was making jokes like, were you calling me master? Like saying all this funny, totally racist shit. But it's between me and her. We know it's a fucking joke. Like, we're best friends. We, t- we text each other and talk on the phone off air. Like, this is on a break. Turns out they were on some witch hunt to fucking get me. Yeah. The heads of Sirius end up claiming for the first time in half a decade, they were on listening to our breaks. Now, keep in mind, I've been on this channel for years already. And I know the shit that gets said on breaks. And I know they don't listen to breaks because people be bashing the higher-ups, bashing other hosts, like, it's chaos on the brakes, right? Like, and then they fucking came out. And they said, we heard what you were saying to Ivory and you were in, in this day and age. You can't be talking to a woman like that about sexuality and you can't be making race relation jokes. I'm like, dude, she was saying the same shit to me. Turns out when they listen to the break, they can only hear one side. So they can't hear Ivy because the producers mute their microphones. They only heard me saying all my shit. Ivy, they didn't even call her in to ask her. They just fired me and pushed it all the way to the top. So it got to like the head of Sirius XM before even speaking to Ivy to see if she was offended or upset. By the time they brought Ivy in to speak, she was like, dude, I love Tommy. No, no, no. We're joking. I say the same shit. He says the same stuff. We're joking. It was too late. It had already got escalated up to the top. And when you're listening to an audio recording, one-sided. One-sided. Like, the shit I was saying. Like, I heard it. I listened to it. Like, And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, I can see how... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> fucking really bad <laughs> like but you know when in context and that's uh and they couldn't do it they said that i was fucking done and that was it and that was the uh serious example story it was literally like that's it and then it we was, have a decision we have a decision at that point like all right well fuck it like i you know what what happens and you know talk to serious he was like well we'll let you keep doing the show and I, you know, you and I have to have that conversation. Like, I wasn't even allowed on as a guest anymore, or like anything. Oh no, no. like blacklisted over the dumbest shirt. shit ever. When the person, the, the other person was like, oh, it's so bad. Go on, sorry. Oh yeah, it was bad. So you and I have to have that conversation. Like, uh, what do we do? Like, yeah. do I walk? You were gonna walk away, and I was like, don't oh. do it, dude. Like, you know, hundred percent true story. I you was told like, me like, if you I'm, want me to I'm walk, I'll walk. To, and yeah. Tommy's like, no, it's best for the company because at that point we're partners in the company. It was meant more from a business angle, but I'll tell you the next probably six months 
were a fucking blur, like literally just a blur. I can't even, I go back and look at those show plans. I don't even know what I was talking about. And it was, uh, I like, I just wasn't, didn't know what I was doing, didn't know what I was talking about. It was like the, one of the worst radio stretches I've ever had because it was like, I honestly didn't want to be there. Well, you were angry too. You, you, you boycotted speaking on any break. You wouldn't speak yep. at all, even to yep, the producers. Yep. Like you just literally yep. mute your microphone. Like yep. you were kind of protesting while you were yep. working for them. So it was, yeah. it was really weird. Well, because I mean, if we're, if that's the way we're going to do things and that's the way we're going to do things, then why bother speaking or talking or interacting? Like, mm-hmm. why do we do all that? So yeah, that, that was a rough go. Um, we, you know, stuck it out. Uh, there did shows or whatever and uh yeah that was uh that was the worst time however the silver lining at that point was fuck it you go on the biggest tear in i think in the history monetarily wise oh yeah the second i got off that show i literally won, I, I, I won seven hundred thousand dollars in four months playing dfs or three months guys, i think just just literally banked eight qualifier seats just just scorched earth in baseball do you guys remember when i said yeah you have to pay a little bit more but you want somebody's full attention well all of a sudden we go from all this work and people don't understand how much work goes into a radio show. Oh, and it was hours. 2 to 4. It was like yeah. prime time DFS research time. But I mean I'm sending you you know I'm sending you the plan and the night before. You're yeah, sending me right. notes back. We're usually yep. talking on a phone call. We talk before night, the show. And we talk before the show. It was like and it's then like after the show, we'd get it off and have to do a live stream. So there was no time to do DFS research yeah. daily for baseball. So, so the godsend for me was when yeah. I got off, I had all this free time. Oh, my God. Yeah. I could study and research and crush it now. And, and yeah, that was awesome. And it's the hottest stretch in the history of daily fantasy sports. It goes off and wins all kinds of fucking money. So that was, that was the good side of the the Sirius XM firing at that. And it had to piss Sirius XM off because I was just fucking going out on well, Twitter fucking blasting screenshots for fucking like $50,000 every night. You know, and then and, uh and they they and I was, you know, taunting them a little bit. You know, but I had to be I, good because you were still there, you know? Like I didn't want us to lose the show as a company. Right. So it's like I couldn't tell my story. I couldn't I couldn't, you know, I w- if you weren't there, I would have started an all-out boycott of Sirius XM. Oh, I, I would have like started a because I probably had more power on Twitter than they did as a company. So yeah. I would have started an all-out boycott and had every phone call coming into that station being someone talking shit and you know, just destroy the channel. But I couldn't go scorched earth because you were still there. <laughs> right. That's 100% true as well. And that's so we're stuck in that paradox. And the thing is, is you think you're doing good. Like, I, I don't know what the idea ever is with the uh, firing mentality or just getting rid of people or whatever. But I, I'll tell you, like, the station is good and I'm very happy, you know, having the show and it's, you know, I put a lot of work into it and all that kind of stuff, but man, you know, I think serious, not just serious, the fantasy industry keeps looking for that next star constantly. And I look at it like, you guys don't support the ones you have. Right. Yeah. Like you, you try to make stars of people that are former athletes and fucking former athletes. And Hey, I played drums for some band back right. in the eighties. Like, come yeah. on, man, that these aren't, these aren't stars. Get people that are good at their job and can actually produce results, you know, winning good content, fire up a crowd, get people excited, that kind of shit. So that, that was a, a terrible moment, but we kept going on. Um, and then, you know, Tommy went on, won all that money. 
then we as a business grew and grew and grew. And I'm sure there'll be a books written about it someday. We end up selling off our company and combining all these entities that are now the Elite Sports Network with Fantasy Guru and Elite Fantasy and Elite Sports Betting and, and all that. And I mean, the other thing I want to like point out to people is like, dude, like you and I both make a lot of money. Like we make a real lot of money. We made money from the sale of the company. We made mm-hmm. money with our contracts and all this kind of stuff. I get asked shit all the time. Why isn't Tommy doing DFS anymore? Why isn't he doing this? Anymore? Oh, I can, I can elaborate on that. So yeah, I want to know like how did like making all this money? Cause in that time, let's be honest, since the firing of Sirius XM, cause that was kind of early on, you know, millions of dollars that you've made. What has that ride been like just in a nutshell? And then like talk about the transformation from you from DFS, Tommy G DFS, which was your screen right. name everywhere, to now Tommy G, who, according to everybody, only does gambling, which is right. 100% not true right. as well. It's not true. But I mean, basically what happens is people don't understand. The reason these other companies don't succeed and these reason these other providers don't succeed is because they try to do everything, right? And if you're doing everything, you're really focusing 100% of your energy on nothing. And that's one of the things that I've always been. I've never wanted to be a jack of all trades. Like I've never tried to be the industry bad boy and the analytical guy. And, and listen, I'm a lot better at math and analytics than you people think. I just play dumb on fucking Twitter for it because it's funny and it doesn't, I don't have to go into that world, you know? But I've always said just master one thing. Master the thing that's going to be the most impactful right now and that's the best long-term and short-term. So the reason I went on that meteoric rise in 2018 or 17, whatever it was, uh, in DFS baseball is because I didn't have the Sirius XM show anymore. So I dedicated 100% of my energy on DFS baseball and I was the number one baseball player in the country. I don't care what anyone says. I was taking on people for $50,000 head-to-head tournaments, loves bases, STL cards, Brett Favre 444, just waxed, waxed, waxed. Like all these people who literally, they were like, Tommy, you don't have a chance. Hit eight qualifier seats, maxed out both sites. Who was the first person to max out both sites. Like, was just destroying Earth because I was 100% focused on DFS and the company was out of its infantile stage. We we're out of our kind of startup mode. And then all of a sudden, what I started to realize was, you know, this is a great game. It's a fun game. And if it's done right, it's a very effective way to make a nice supplemental income in DFS and stuff. But what I started to realize was gambling is about to take over the world, right? And we had brought on Draft G, Jeff Collins, Benny, Vlad, Jeff Mans, Ted Schuster, Ray Flowers, fucking now Brian Healy, fucking Kevin Adams. We have this whole fucking goon squad of talented DFS guys, right? Mm-hmm. Just superstars. Like, we literally have a dream team on our staff. So, uh, and, you know, a couple of these guys are gone now at this point. But, you know, this was the reason for the transition. So I was, and I remember I talked to Jeff. I was like, all right, here's the deal. Like, I love DFS. It's my heart. It's my blood. It's what got me here. It's all I want to do. But this gambling thing is going to take over the fucking world. And no one's talking about it. Everyone's afraid to talk gambling because of Ethan Gate and because of all the shit that just happened. Well, nobody gonna... realized that the, the bill that was before the um, uh, um, the fuck you call it? Supreme Court. Like nobody realized right, there right. was a bill there nationally at that point, and that there was a lot. Like it was a very nobody realized it was. No one there. thought it was getting passed. No one realized. He got it was wind there. of it, and you realized it, and you're like, well, I realized. You are just like, everything's always going to happen. Like, you have that mindset. I have Right. Mindset. I don't see ah, obstacles. Right. Nothing good is ever going to happen in my mind. Right. So, 
I was like, well, whatever. All right. Well, so, so I was seeing so Roto. It's going to be big. And so go on. Right. Roto Grinders was afraid to talk about gambling. This daily fantasy insider was afraid DFS. to talk about gambling. Every company was like, we just need to save DFS. Don't call it gambling. And I'm like, you know what? When they zig, I zag. So I was like, I'm going to start. And if you remember Nostradamus and the free NCAA plays a few years ago, I said, fuck this. I'm going full bore gambling two years ago. I go, I'm going to give all of it out for free. And remember, we didn't have a betting site. I would just go on Twitter. I would track my record and I would give out my free college basketball plays every day, day after day. Get lit up on Twitter if they lost, scorch earth if they win, but it was free content. I was the only one doing it, firing it, tracking it. You know, Brad Evans was probably doing it too, but we were doing it very differently, like yeah. our approach to it. But I was the only DFS guy who was going out there going gambling, 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 and just firing out picks. And I, and I crushed it, right? And it became a thing. And then I was like, yo, we need to start a gambling side of our site. And our gambling site was one page on Guru Elite. That's all it was. It was a single page. And because we had fucking thousands of, keep in mind, it takes me about four or five hours to come up with my plays and do all this kind of stuff for gambling. So I wasn't able to do both. I was like, I got to either do half ass on both or I got to just, I'm going to take over gambling. Give me gambling. I'm still going to play DFS. I'm not going to play $5,000 a day. I'm going to dial it back a little bit. I'm not going to call out people for hundreds of thousands. You guys, the 10 superstars that we brought in are paying a lot of money for all these guys. Yes. You guys take over the DFS ship. I wanna, I'm not going to get out of it. Baseball, I'll be there with you. But the other sports, I'm trying to phase over to the gambling side. All of a sudden, gambling starts getting legal. It gets legal in Jersey, the state I live in. The first place, it couldn't have been any better, right? And I'm like, here we go. Not for us. So, so we basically had about 15 people on staff, star DFS players, everyone from Brad Thad to Kevin to, to everywhere all over the place. And we had one, me and Rob on the gambling side, right? And Rob's got a ton of other business shit. So I was like, I'm going to take this over. So when people are saying, oh, Tommy's not playing DFS anymore. Tommy fucking this, that. You, gotta, can't, you can't do everything, right? And then I realized on FanDuel and DraftKings, you could parlay props. So I was still doing DFS. I was taking my favorite DFS pitcher and betting his pitcher prop over and scorching earth with those. And then I was parlaying them with my favorite hitter over two and a half runs, uh, hits, runs, and RBIs. And, parlay. and I realized I can actually play DFS on FanDuel betting without having to compete with anyone. I just needed to pick my three guys and I could win 10, 20x. And that's what I started teaching and promoting. So I was basically running the gambling side by myself, right, on that side. We've had a lot of changes, transitions. This is the first year where we are actually stable and have, you know, everything in order where I can go back to actually doing both, where I'm going to be able to do a lot of the DFS baseball. I'm going to be back for DFS baseball with Jeff and everything on the shows. And I'm going to be doing the gambling. And I'm going to try and merge a little bit of a hybrid approach to it where we can kind of join both worlds. But I mean, dude, I'm never going to be that guy that does nine things at once. It's just not yeah. me. And it's not what you want. And people have to understand. It's the same thing like when I came over here. One of the things that uh, I talked about on last podcasts, I think it's episode three, where I said, I mentioned yeah, I've won two live finals, used to qualify all the time. There was a lot of times you and I used to call each other. Remember the Aaron Hill day where you fucking beat uh -huh. me on qualifier? Yeah, I remember you I love it. Team. I hate that day. But, you know, I whatever. Sad. I remember the time. I, I remember when uh, – uh, remember that story? We're at the Playboy Mansion. This is not the time. You had the Reds. Yeah, that's when yes. I won it. But yeah. that was fine. But the, the second time, the next year we went back there, 
and all of a sudden we're, you know, I, I, my lineup was shit in the bed or whatever. And it was later in the day. And all of a sudden I made a huge run and I come into the back room. You're hanging out with like Dan Bach or whatever. And I, I walk into that room and I'm trying to like, Hey guys, I'm in fucking third place. I end up taking third place. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, go fuck yourself. Like, we don't care. <laughs> you're going to fucking lose. Like you were so, <laughs> I mean, it's one of the most epic. I'm like, okay. Oh, it's supposed on. to be my thing. I was already out. I didn't care. You won it last yeah. year. I don't want to hear about I you know. winning again. You, you, don't yeah, you won it last year. I was happy for you. It was great because you right. were getting a lot of shit from the DFS community that you're a season long guy masquerading as a DFS player. Right. So like, you know, you won two tournaments in one year or one for like quarter million and one and the Playboy Mansion one. So you'd made your name and that was important for me as your friend. For you yeah. to let people know, like, listen, I'm yeah, not one joking. of the few people that were actually happy. I was for legitimate me. That, happy for you. Yeah, legitimate. Second year though, I was like, fuck you. No, you're not winning yeah. again because now you're absolutely now you're, not. Now you're no. Yeah. Fuck you. I yeah. hope you. Yeah. I really yeah, didn't exactly. hope you lost, but oh yeah, yeah. I hope you came in second. We actually, <laughs> we actually, uh, that that's a great story for another time. We took like twenty thousand. We took ah, it's probably ten grand off a of draft sheet and somebody else. And beer pong. I had never. I yeah. played beer pong. You never even played. <laughs> they're like, dude, I've seen you hit a baseball. You fucking just go. You you you're fine. You're like, stand no, next to me. Like, throw the ball in the cup. Me. I'll do the rest. <laughs> and dude, sure enough, we fucking lost the first game. Then doubled and doubled and doubled and just crushed these fuckers. One of the best things ever because it was really like a, like the hustler or something. Yeah, like it was great. And man, I remember me and Stevie took fucking. Uh, I think it was five or ten grand off con. Condia and yeah. uh, uh, who was Condia's partner? Who was the other? I don't remember. Uh, what was I his, remember I'm forgetting his name. Fuck, Condia and uh, uh, I'll remember it as we go, but Condia's uh, uh, Luke Roar. One Luke Roar. Oh, one Condia and Luke Roar. Oh, yeah, they were the Chipotle the and Papa back then. But yeah, we took fucking five, ten grand off them and beer pong. Those, those beer pong games were the best. $5,000 beer pong games. At the Playboy game. Mansion, by the way, is why. Yeah, not even looking at pussy, just focused on fucking raping each other on a beer pong game. <laughs> So the when I came over to Guru Lee, like I, I had a successful tournament career and qualifying career. I come over as the same thing. We had Collins, we had you, we had all mm -hmm. these guys that are great GPP players, Kevin, and everything else. And it's like, all right, I got to reinvent myself at that point. It's something you and I had talked about. And I'm like, you know, what we don't have was a true cash game player. And I reinvented everything. Like that yeah. was a total makeover. of, yep. And we did it. I did it and for the company and so that we fit in better and so and what it really is is to provide our customers with the best all-around access whether whatever they're playing because at that point we don't really have a cash person we took it over to that and we had the gpp coverage that's why we do what we do the, the cheat sheet uh coaching sessions and shit like that like all of this is part of the plan like that's what good teams do they are well-rounded and they have balance and we complement each other in the ways we can't do. And I tell people, and then we did, you know, on the radio, we did Tommy versus Kevin or Tommy versus Jeff. Which side are you? Are you a cash game guy versus GPP guy? Uh -huh. People always say, I want to be a GPP guy. Everybody does. They, they want to be the winner, but they don't want to spend the money to make that money. Right. And that, that's their. It's, their it's the same thing that people do on the elite sports betting side where, mm -hmm. You know, they want the big, I sweep a slate probably once every two weeks, right? Where I'll go nine and I want a slate and we'll just win everything and people hit 19 parlays and shit. But they want that. But with the GPP side, you got to be, you're never going to be consistent. So you have to be there for the whole run. You know, like you can't just poke in and poke out, buy a daily pass and get out, follow the plays for a day and not follow them tomorrow. Like you're going to have to suffer through some fucking bloodbaths and some fucking dings on the head where you're losing 
you know, two units, five units, seven units, two units, five units, seven units, bang, hit for 50. Lose two, five, seven, lose two, five, seven, bang, hit for 70. It's just different style. It's the same thing on the sports betting side as the DFS side. And that was the beauty of what you were doing where you were the annuity. You know, like you morphed into the thing that was consistent and safe. And then it allowed me to be crazy and wild because, you know, if you won your cash game and you lost your GPPs, you didn't care. But, right. And, and yeah. that's what the well-rounded the things we have done is we've done because that's what the business was. And that's what our customers wanted for all these years. And we've built up a huge betting side. We're, we're ahead of the curve. We, you know where to bet now. People know how to bet. We're teaching people every day. We know people didn't realize before us, you know, and, and I mean, gambling has been around forever. And there's, there's people that give advice, but People don't realize that you could bet on a golfer to make a cut or miss a cut. Like you could bet on the right. first period of a hockey game. Like right. in-game shit where you're in chat literally reacting to what is going on. By the um, second, right. You know, and that's, that's our next way. We're ahead of people. We're, we're way ahead of what other people are, are doing where people are right now point spreads and over-unders. Like, eh. Always a year or two ahead of these people. That's why we make – that's why this company makes millions of dollars every year. And every other company out there who hears our sales, because we do mm-hmm. talk about it amongst the heads of other companies, oh, is always like, you know what? Yeah, like, can't. you know, even when they're asking now, they're, you know, I got asked a couple months ago, like, I'm like, yeah, we do, we do six figures easy in gambling sales every single month. Like, it's not even close. Like, it's, we'd crush it. And they're like, wait, what? We're just starting a gambling package. We, well, because you're not winning and you're not in the chat 80 hours a week and you're not supporting your people when they lose and you're not giving them an experience in a community. And the nice thing this year, to kind of dovetail back to the DFS question, I will be playing a little more DFS this year. I'll be putting more time into it for sure as far as from a content perspective. I want to get out of the articles. I want to get more into the videos because I feel like it's redundant. Like I write an article to say the same fucking thing on the video. I know some people like articles and some people like videos, but I can't run the gambling side and write an article that I have to repeat on a video. So, you know, the information will be out there every day. And the nice thing is now we have Brian Healy on the gambling and DFS side. Now we have Paulie on the gambling side. We have Frank Brank. We have Austin. We have a team of sharp MLB handicappers. Dream, on, yeah. And we have, obviously, MLB Dream. We know Mad Lab, Duke, and all those guys. But we have a full staff, which we didn't last year. It was just me and, like, two other people. Me, Rob, and you know, a couple other people. Now we have a full staff. So now I'm not the sole responsibility on the gambling side or the DFS side. So now this baseball season... I could spend more time on DFS and DFS content and in the DFS chat. And I could still not be leaving behind the gambling side. You know, we, we have a Paulie and those guys to take care of. So now I'm actually excited for this year because this is the first year where I'll have balance, you know, right. like where I don't have to be all in one side or the other. And, uh, and it's exciting. I mean, I'm excited. Be, I'm pumped too because it's you and I back in the saddle again. Right. Like it should be the way we grew this thing in the first place. It's the way we built our individual careers, then together career as well. And we'll be doing that, you know, over at EliteFantasy.com, of course, doing our live streams, having fun. Every day it's not going to just be you know, ripping off what pitch angle, the, you know, what the tilt on a slider is every fucking day. We're going to be having some fun. And, uh, and also winning some money and swinging for fences and trying, you know, really trying to make it different, make it difference and make an impact in uh, your d- daily fantasy baseball play. So I'm pumped up by, for that for sure. So like the come full circle, this long journey, got into sports and DFS and all that now gambling, obviously what's motivating you now? Like, where are you 
millions of dollars in, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And you still make a, obviously a lot of money and all that, but like, what's next? What's the, what's well, the motivating mean, Tommy G as we speak besides your crazy fucking conspiracy? Well, I mean, that's really what it is, right? Like, I mean, you know, once money becomes, you know, once you make a lot of money and you do well and stuff like that, you want to pursue your passions. And I, my passion is to Michelle uncover Obama's this dick. fucking global new world order. <laughs> so it's it's not it's not oh, even about it. oh okay yeah, cool. it's not even about a passion it's dude I Jesus. love it I love going on air. you do too that's why you're doing this podcast how great is it to go on a show and not have to talk about picks like and just talk about whatever oh, yeah. the fuck you want and no fucking care in the world I just want to fucking have fun some of the conspiracy theories we do are crazy and you know I don't even some? really know I'm like you know, so, listen a lot of them are very true Michelle Obama definitely has a dick. But, you know, like, I, I, I love talking about this shit. I've always been enamored with this shit. It's fun. I don't know what the next step is, but I know the, the big thing is to continue to crush on the elite sports betting fantasy guru and elite fantasy side. Continue to be there for the people and that stuff. But this conspiracy stuff is just fun for me, and that's really what it is. Because, dude, we burn out. And that's what people don't realize. Like, when you're a content provider, when you're writing articles for a company, that's nothing. That's a joke job. But yeah. when you're providing content, doing videos, doing a podcast, on six hours of business meetings, responsible for sales, responsible for marketing, putting together... I mean, you the schedule alone probably takes you 12 hours on a fucking weekend. No, doing the schedule... Like when you have all this, it's like, it's like we're working 190 hours a week and you just want to fucking decompress and decompose, like unwind. And that's what these conspiracy theory things have allowed me to do. Just fucking... Have some fucking fun. Like, not everything needs to be fucking, you know, picks and numbers and you won, you're great, you lost, you suck. Like, it's, the worst. Like, I, it's like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's talk about how LeBron James is fucking Kyle Kuzma. Like, <laughs> that's fun. And there's all because, they're like, let's all because Kuzma it. gets a haircut. Don't dye let's your hair. Have some, and he's wearing women's clothes nonstop. It's one thing I learned. LeBron. One thing I learned is don't ever dye your hair. Because no, don't go Amber Rose. Let's have some fucking fun too. That's why I'm happy you're doing this podcast because you burn out too. And I, I think do. this is an football. outlet for you to yeah, football end of football season. Jeff's like on oh, his period. Like he's it's crazy. It, it literally is the hardest working man in the industry. And that's not I'm not just saying because he's on here. I'd be more likely to insult him because he's on here. But there is not a single individual in the history of fantasy sports who works harder than Jeff Mans. There isn't. There's no, and I don't either. And I think I'm a hard worker. I don't even sniff him. So by the end of football season, the dude's ready to kill himself. So you know, thank God for January and February, but I'm glad you have this little outlet here where you're going to be able to fucking do whatever you want and have some fun with it. And I wish you the best and I hope it fucking crushes and I know it will, but uh, you know, you're going to find that this is going to be your, your no mercy. Like you'll probably end up going down a route with this podcast that you don't even yeah. see just to well, unwind and get away from sports for a bit. I am hoping. I mean, I, I've done the last, you know, first episode was a lot of fun. And it, I know right after your, your, um, Right in your spirit, I just said, "All right, here's what I think about politics, religion, like sexuality." I just went, "What's everything everybody doesn't want to talk about?" And I just hit every yeah. single topic. And I'm like, "All right, that's that." And then I'm like, "All right, I should probably bring it back to sports." But yeah, I don't think people want that. I mean, you Fuck guys, you. they get enough sports from you all. That's over. what I Make mean. This right? Wild, go nuts. Bring on your fucking nephew. Yeah. Go bring on singers yeah. and fight. Dude, get outside the bomb. I'm telling you. After that, that's why I went full conspiracy because it's like you know what. Talk sports enough. I probably got to talk a little more sports, but baseball's coming, so we'll be doing live streams every fucking day. But the Lunch Money Show, 
the live streams. Yeah, that's that's, that's where I want us to talk about sports and shit, dude. If I can give you one piece of it, just fucking wow out in this. Do whatever the fuck you want. That. That's what I want to do. Yeah, I'm more stories. We've got, believe it yeah. or not, we covered a lot here, but there's a lot of other things. Like we skipped we over started. segment. Like we skipped <laughs> How over cute we thought it would be 60 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're we're like, let's try and get it in under an hour. Maybe we'll go an hour and a half or more. I we're probably like five hours in. Wait to the first email chain about, I thought it was only going to be an hour. These people are going to flip <laughs> their fucking minds. This thing out. isn't going to air till April. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> this It's going to be fucking May of 2025. All right. Yeah. Yeah, Kuzma and uh, LeBron will be divorced by then. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be old news. Like, yeah, we already knew about that. Yeah. They're like, yeah, we already deal. broke up. <laughs> So there you go. Remember, guys, uh, while you're on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and all the rest, download, subscribe, comment on the No Mercy podcast with Tommy G, airing whenever the fuck he wants, basically. Whenever we want. We're getting more consistent. We're starting to do it every Sunday, so it's usually dropping on Mondays if I don't Such fuck a, up the technology. It, which is one pretty much every episode. <laughs> 33% chance Tommy will fuck up the technology. I'm if you listen to nothing else, and Jeff, I know you're not a big conspiracy guy, and I know you don't listen to most of the podcast. I listen to the there. yeah, listen to the first four minutes of this one we just did because the episode the conspiracy 16 we just did. I did a background, I did a three-minute behind the scenes outtake of Kurt, Bobby, and Ben. And how fucking stupid they are to try and just align our recording. It's three minutes. It's just funny. You don't need to listen to the conspiracy part. Just listen to the first four minutes and you'll laugh. And see what I have to deal with every fucking day. It's uh, listen to the No Mercy podcast conspiracy episode just to hear how fucking wackadoo Tommy's become with all his We'll turn you. Don't turn him. Don't do it, everybody. We'll turn you. Follow this monster on uh, Twitter at Tommy G. Obviously, Tommy G DFS on Instagram. Yeah, I need Instagram followers. Go follow me on Instagram. Fuck Twitter. Tommy G DFS. I'll post some dick pics for you. There you go. The fucking Italian (laughs) sausage. And then uh, no TikTok still, huh? No, I'm not doing that. Big cock. Big cock. Big cock, not TikTok. No. All right. That's going to do it. Episode four, one man's opinion in the books. Our thanks to Tommy G. He is the man, the myth, the legend. Now you know. The story of Tommy G, of course, I could be wrong. That's just one man's opinion. This is Jeff Vance. We'll see you next time, everybody. Cheers.